here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Shake Them Ropes. This is Episode 70. Rob McCarron here. We're going to be joined by usual co-host Jeff Hawkins in just a moment, but I wanted to let you know that later on in the show, we will be joined by Dylan Hales, Dylan Waco on Twitter, at Dylan Waco. We talk about WWE Raw from Monday night. Uh, we were both a little, uh, let's say, less than happy with WWE Raw, but we go through everything on the show point by point. Dylan really wanted to get his thoughts out there on that Raw that was supposed to lead up to WrestleMania and maybe didn't do the best job of doing so. So uh, Dylan Hales is going to be on at the end of our show talking WWE Raw from last night. Jeff and I are going to be talking a lot of things from Raw, Ring of Honor with Samoa Joe and the Briscoes, my trip to NXT in Columbus, and a whole lot more, plus match number 85 on our Top 100 Countdown. So Jeff and I will be right back. Dylan Hales later in the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Shake Them Ropes. Here is episode 70. Rob McCarron. He is sounding off, drunk, in the middle of the road in a snowstorm, wherever he is. Jeff Hawkins. They give him a big middle finger! <laughs> You're listening to Shake Them Ropes with Rob McCarron and Jeff Hawkins. I honestly would have rather gotten a DUI tonight. Wow. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Shake Them Ropes, episode 70, another milestone, if you will. Rob McCarron here, Jeffrey Hawkins. I had no cool middle names for you this time. Jeff, how Cut are you? Cut the music. Cut the music. Cut the music. What it's, I'd like, it's off. It's what off. I'd like, it's off. What I'd, like, what I'd like right now is for all you fat, ugly, Rob McCarron morons, keep the noise down while I take my robe off. Rick Rude. Hit the music. <laughs> We're going to talk, uh, that is match number 85 on our list. I believe it's 85. Pretty sure it's 85, um, as I double check right now. But match number 85, Rick Rude, Ricky Steamboat from WCW Beach Blast 1992, which was the first of what we now call the Iron Man matches. Uh-huh. The first one, 30 minutes. Dudes went 30 minutes. Featuring great Jesse Ventura commentary. At least oh, yeah. I thought so. Oh, I did too. I, oh, I was, was wondering, because have you ever seen this match before? No, this is the first time I ever saw it. Okay, that's what I figured. I, I was wondering what you thought of a lot of the uh, old school tendencies in some of this match, but uh, we'll get to it, I guess. We were we are going to talk about that one. We are going to talk about NXT in Ohio. I went to the Columbus show very last minute, uh, but I did yeah. go to that one, so that was fun times. Uh, NXT TV talk. Uh, Voices of Wrestling, uh, some of the Midwestern guys are going to be at the ROH show on Saturday uh, in Chicago, so we might talk about that very briefly, just kind of preview the big match on that show. And we're going to talk about Raw and WWE. Uh, we're just talk about a lot of different things, Jeff, but you wanted oh. to say something up front, so I will give uh, you the time to say something up front. Yeah, someone very near and dear to me, and actually near and dear to my wrestling fandom, passed away uh, Monday morning. Uh, I've talked about her on the show before, 
Uh, her name was uh, Becky Esber. Uh, she's the mother of a friend of mine. Uh, her, and, and you'll make this connection, some of you fans, immediately. Uh, her maiden name was Zink. Uh, she was related to the Z-Man, Tom Zink. And so as a uh, teenager, or even maybe a little bit younger, uh, we got to, when Tom Zink was in WCW, because WWE would not come to my area at that time, uh, we got to go to a lot of the uh, house shows down there and got to meet some of the wrestlers and uh, whatnot. I remember when uh, <laughs> when he was in WWF, my friend Ryan, who was his, her son, would go, yeah, my, my, my uncle or my cousin's the Blue Blazer. I'm like, mm-hmm. he has blonde hair. I don't think that's him. But, of course, you know, he didn't know that much about wrestling. Right. But to me, wrestling was, you know, how I made friends and whatnot. So she kind of looked at this and goes, hey, Jeff, do you and the rest of the guys want to go see wrestling? And I got to go see a bunch of shows at, like, the Coliseum and the Norfolk Scope. And uh, she passed away of lung cancers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you smoke, kids, uh, give it up, please. Uh, yeah. what, what, Smoking's what more bad school- for you. I, it makes me appreciate a lot of the things that the old school old timers talk about. Cause I remember one show uh, we went, to, I think it was 89 or 90 and uh, the main event was sting and Muda with uh, Gary Hart in a cage. And it was at the Norfolk scope. And there were a lot of uh, angry uh, African-American people mm-hmm. in the audience, like heckling Gary Hart and Gary Hart looks down and goes, look at all the N word people. <laughs> Near riot broke out oh, when he sure. brought that cage uh, down. I believe <laughs> but, uh, it. I believe I just it. wanted to just give a little bit of a memorial and whatnot because uh, the, she was very important in my wrestling, uh, in my live event uh, going to. Because my parents hated wrestling. My parents could not stand it. Yeah. And, no, I'm not taking you to that. No, you can't watch that. Star Trek The Next Generation's on. We're watching that today. Because that was on at the same time on Saturday nights against uh, World Championship Wrestling on TBS. So, yeah, no. Uh, so the uh, the somber part of the show is over. Let's let's get to Raw. Let's talk about the best <laughs> part of the show is WWE Raw. This was a Raw. Oh, God, uh, this was terrible. So many comments. <laughs> and uh, so I'm watching this show. You, of course, with your schedule, shouldn't be watching this show live, but you no, did. I- I'm doped up on cold medication watching this show. So you did. I watch it live, of course. And our good friend of the show, Dylan Waco, was watching it live and felt Mm. so strongly about this show afterwards. Hits me up and says, I need to bury the show on audio. Oh, okay. So later in the show, we we recorded it because he couldn't do it today. So we ended up recording last night, which wasn't my first idea. And then three hours later, <laughs> we're done. Record. There's there's going to be a good hour and a half of Dylan Waco burying Raw at the end oh, of this podcast. Uh, an hour and a half. But I tell you so, what. So, so we're going three hours like Voices of Wrestling? Well, Voices of, of Wrestling is off this week because Rich is on vacation. So why not oh. just take the... Okay, uh, there we go. Why take not just take it over? Mistake. But uh, yeah, so after <laughs> after we're done here, you will get the conversation that I had with Dylan Waco, which wasn't much of a conversation. It was more Dylan Waco burying the show for an hour, uh, but <laughs> very engaging because while we were recording, I didn't know how much time had passed uh-huh. a- until after the fact, and it didn't feel that long. So it's a very good conversation, very good, strong points. Dylan Hales talking about WWE Raw, but it gives us a chance now that I know what his thoughts were and we kind of went over our thoughts there. I want to get your thoughts on this show 
because it seems that uh, not too many people were fans of this show, mostly for the context in which it was. The fact that it's the third Raw away from WrestleMania. WrestleMania. Uh, the focus, your main event had the manager of one of the combatants cutting a promo, the champion standing there and listening to the manager cut a promo, and the other guy was basically an afterthought. Roman Reigns was barely on the show. He was in the main event segment winning a four-minute handicap match of which he was the least important guy in the match. It was just a very odd show, Jeff. What do you think about this Raw in general? And then we'll go through the bullet points. After the opening segment, I thought it went downhill. Um, and the opening segment I, wasn't... The opening segment was Seth Rollins was, and the Authority welcoming back. 15 minutes yeah. later, nothing had changed. Nothing had progressed. No, no. And it had. And it's, it's very odd because the stuff I wasn't looking forward to on WrestleMania, I'm now even looking forward to less. And the stuff I was looking forward to on WrestleMania, they... they they took away a lot of my interest in it. Yeah, here's what I've been able to do, especially over the last several months of pay-per-views. Is I they can killed, look... they, you know what the, the most egregious thing was? They killed Sting. They killed Sting! The Sting thing was a little odd. When If you're going to have him speak, which I... I mean, they had to have him speak. Have him speak live. Not... Have him speak! Have him speak, yes. A lot of controversy over whether that was his voice or not. On the show. Uh, we'll get into all this, but the opening segment, 15 minutes of oh, Randy Orton and Seth well before, Rollins. Before you move on, have you heard Meltzer's report on that? No. I, they assume, they, they, I, I assume they were using like a voiceover IP line or something, so he didn't have to be there. I assume it was actually no, him. No, it was, according to Dave, um, so take it with a grain of salt, uh, they were going for Black Scorpion Sting. Okay. They're going for the Black Scorpion, who was his enemy doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. I don't It doesn't make any sense. I even don't I actually don't think that was it at all either. I'll go as okay. far as to say that Dave's wrong. I hope that. I hope so. Cuz it was close. It was... it was his cadence to the point where I think he did it, but I think he did it over a phone or over a voice over IP or something. So his voice was a little modulated. So it it wasn't how we oh, no, were I... used to hearing him. I thought it was his voice, but yeah, they were they were mess- monkeying with Monkey. it. Okay. And I think that was the homage to the Black Scorpion. I, I don't even know if it was an homage to that so much as that's just how it ended up happening. But maybe it was. I don't know. But okay. yeah. So 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 Sting uh, so speaks. Moving on. But this Go authority ahead. angle, uh, and it would be uh-huh. the main angle on the show. I mean, this was <laughs> if you weren't knowing who the champion was on the show, you would think Randy Orton and Seth Rollins was the main event. They obviously did the angle a couple of weeks later than they should have. Randy Orton should have never come back and be a part of them, even if it's the whole, oh, I fooled you into thinking I was a part of you so I can get you alone at this perfect time. Because that doesn't make any sense. You know, they have something very good, and they think they're going to make it better. And then when they tinker with it, they made it worse. That's that's what they did with a few things. They have six weeks, so they think that, okay, we need to fill these six weeks with a story here. We can't just have him, you know, go to the feud right away, because what are we going to do for the rest of the time? But at the same have time, them talk, have them talk smack for six weeks, for God's sakes. That's all you have to do. Keep, it's not that hard. Keep them separated. But uh, <laughs> I, I've gotten pretty good at separating the buildup to these pay-per-views and just looking uh-huh. at what the card is and, you know, looking at the pros of the cards because I'm still enthused for the actual in-ring Seth Rollins-Randy Orton match. Like, I, I figure they're going to have a good match in yeah. the show, and I'm kind of excited for it. I'm excited for the John Cena-Rusev match because... The Fastlane match was pretty good, even with the ending. 
and they're going to be on the bigger stage. Rusev has to bring it. It's his biggest stage ever. John Cena is going to bring it for WrestleMania because he hardly never or hardly ever doesn't bring it. And you're going to have this big blow off. Someone should win this match. So you're going to get a finish there. I'm excited for that one. I'm excited for a lot of the matches on the show, no matter how the buildup has been. So basically what Raw is for the weeks leading up to it is only a chance to disappoint. Because I want to like these shows. I want to like yeah. the buildup. You can also say it's a chance to surprise, I guess, if they were to come through on any of these, but they haven't. Mm. But I can separate what happens in the buildup to waiting what could actually happen on the pay-per-view. Uh, mm-hmm. Not everyone can do that. The Raws are supposed to build you up to these pay-per-views. They're supposed to get you excited for them. And if you go in not as excited, you may not enjoy the show as much. But I can separate sure. those at least myself. And I urge everyone else to try because you're going to have to with WWE these days. Well, I mean, I was finding little things to like about it. I mean, I thought like Jay and Jay were both great. The Orton's, the, Orton's teardown of the authority was pretty darn good. And the big show it was, was doing it was entertaining. Things, yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially Mercury and Noble's reactions. You know, he goes to Noble yeah. and, you know, you can't ride the rides. <laughs> the easiest joke in the world to make, but it works still. Randy Orton talking he's, he's down. He's a weasel. He's a... <laughs> <laughs> Randy Orton, this yeah, big dick heel, because he's still, you know, frat boy Randy Orton, who's a dick to these guys. He goes to Mercury, the staring at Mercury while Mercury's, <sighs> you know, waiting for it. And then he just says, and moving on to Rollins was perfect delivery, perfect timing. Just the sim- just the, just the, yeah, just the simplicity of that was funny. And that uh, is why Randy Orton is a Wrestling Observer Hall of Famer. Is Big Show and his Batista don't give a damn anymore uh, face? Because he's really letting loose with a lot of things. And I'm, like, because, and I'm liking it. Because that's what he does. He lets loose. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of what he does. And I figure with this Kane angle, Kane's the big serious guy where Big Show is the let loose guy, although he can be serious when someone's making fun of him type of thing. But... As we'll talk about in the NXT report, Big Show is one of those guys where you can't not respect him because this dude will go out on house shows that some may say don't matter and give bigger matches than pay-per-view matches because he's trying to entertain all the people even though a camera is not there. Big Agreed. Show's awesome. Big Show's awesome. This segment accomplished nothing. It was entertaining when Orton was on the mic. Seth Rollins is really coming into his own. He's the leader out there. You know, Seth Rollins was the leader of that segment, even with Orton in there. Like, yeah, great. Great for it's Seth a, Rollins. It's a shame they just beat the hell out of him for 10 minutes at the end of the show. But yeah, we get to the main event angle and Roman Reigns, first of all, is an afterthought. Yeah, he's a conduit to get to the fourth match down Ra- on the card. Randy Orton just all of the sudden says, Haha, it's time for me to, you know, backtrack on the authority just because mm-hmm. I, I miraculously after three weeks got you alone, Seth Rollins. Beats up Seth Rollins. The whole point of Randy Orton versus Seth Rollins would be to Randy Orton getting revenge at Seth for killing him, basically. Sending him out for four months. Uh Randy Orton just got that revenge. He got it at the end of Raw for 10 minutes beating him up. And now they're going to have a straight match at WrestleMania. Most likely a straight match at WrestleMania where they're going to trade holds. The revenge happened. Uh I'll still still like the match. I still want to see it. But the revenge happened. And in doing so, I mean, you have to now you have to rebuild him in order to be even a credible money in the bank cash in guy, I think. Yeah, I don't think the money in the bank is one of those things. And people, you know, say it all the time. If you have the briefcase, you're already over to cash in. People just want that pop of the cash in. Well, you you're over, but you still need to be credible. I mean, Damian Sandow 
didn't have any credibility when he had the the briefcase and it wasn't until that Cena match that he earned credibility and then they did nothing with it. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, I think Seth's going to be fine. Don't get me wrong. I just think <sighs> this was the wrong time to do this. Kind of, you should have done this kind of beat down at the match. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Make it like a Christian Randy Orton beat down of some kind. Make, make it a no DQ match because of the reasons uh-huh. why. You know, Seth Rollins could beg for it because he wants... I could see them maybe doing like a no DQ match now because Seth Rollins, of course, is in with the authority. He did. He just got this big beat down. Oh, and yeah, and the authority was nowhere to be seen during the beat well, down. Here, I Stephanie. Mean, that's, why, that's why at the end I could see, okay, that first segment made a little sense. Okay. Because... Randy Orton made fun of Noble and Mercury. Noble and Mercury were telling Seth that the guy can't be trusted. So they're, first of all, Seth Rollins sent them away. Didn't want their help during the match. Sends them Uh away. And they're kind of upset because they told Seth Randy Orton would do this. So they're not helping out. Big Show and Kane had their own thing going on because Stephanie gave them a timeout earlier in the show. And they got their own trouble. So they're not out there to help. Triple H is engaged with Sting. Stephanie McMahon isn't going to come out and help anything. So, yeah, the authority is all on their own, and this is exactly what people were telling Seth Rollins, what Randy Orton was telling Seth Rollins in that week where he, they, he was kind of not in the authority. That all if right. he was really the authority's boy, you know, he wouldn't be where he was. Was it Roman Reigns? It was Roman Reigns, right, that was telling Seth Rollins about the authority on Raw like last week? Uh, John Stewart. That's right. It was John Stewart. That guy. Yeah. Forgot about mm-hmm. John Stewart being on the show. John Stewart the got everything right. Yeah, he's the authority's much. boy unless they're on to bigger and better things, which they're on right now. Mm-hmm. OK, you convinced me it made sense. Then. It made sense at the end, but it took three yeah. hours to get there. <clears throat> yeah. Speaking of uh, <laughs> speaking of things that don't make sense and weren't very good. Oh, the, the multi-man intercontinental cluster. This match right now oh, has God. five people announced for it. With two Raws left. Five people announced. Apparently might be seven or eight spots available, even though the graphic they showed on the show only showed six spots. And Daniel Bryan isn't technically in this match yet. They announced Wade Barrett, R-Truth, Dolph Ziggler, Luke Harper, and Dean Ambrose. Those are your five men so far. And your focus right now is on a slightly bigoted portrayal of a comedy character. Yes. We're bringing prestige back to that belt, unlike... Rude and steamboat. No one's fighting <laughs> to be the actual champion. They're fighting to hold the belt, which yeah, is a different thing. Fight to be the champion. You would, you should have one guy out there saying, I don't want this toy yet because I haven't earned it. Exactly. I think uh, it was Lance Storm who basically said, you know what? All Wade Barrett has to do is go, I'm the person or the champion makes the belt. The belt doesn't make the champion. Boom, Mike drop, you're out. But he's crying about his belt and Stardust this is... Stardust you know is what in this, this thing is? now, and Stardust is the guy who brought back the white belt as Cody mm-hmm. Rhodes, so mm-hmm. he's going after this belt now, and he's probably going to be the sixth guy. Daniel Bryan, I have to assume, is still going to be the seventh guy unless Sheamus comes back next week, and they still do Sheamus and Daniel Bryan somehow. This is turning into the uh, 24-7 rule for hardcore, or for Crash yeah, Holly. except you don't hardcore. win anything. Except you know you're not actually a title holder. If I was in if I was in this Intercontinental Championship match at WrestleMania, I would not want to wrestle on Raw because duh, someone's gonna take my belt. <laughs> someone's gonna come out and steal my spotlight. I just I just found the whole R Truth out on the whole R Truth <laughs> a little Len for you. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> you got you it. Go. Thank you. Um, the whole R-Truth out there on commentary for, what, three segments? And just doing... He was out there for a long time. Just doing insulting, insulting Izzle, Izzle, Izzle. Half of it was the Izzle stuff with JBL. Vince McMahon is telling JBL on the headset, you know, talk like him, talk back at him, yeah. Say, say nizzle and bizzle and kizzle. Vince. F Vizzle. I just, I was just like, oh, and you know, they're, now they're building up to, uh, to the spot where Archer's on the ladder and he's afraid of heights. Because they keep hammering that. He was afraid of heights, yeah. Because they yeah. built that in the ladder match years and years ago. Uh-huh. He was afraid of heights. Well, what I'm thinking is R-Truth for the last several weeks has just been giving the title belt away. Like he right. didn't want it. He's been giving it away. I thought he was just building up karma. That hopefully at WrestleMania time, the belt would just fall in his lap. He wouldn't have to climb. <laughs> like the world would be giving him the title belt after all these oh. weeks of him giving it away. Oh, God, that'd be terrible. <laughs> Could happen. Could happen. Oh, uh, but. Uh, yeah. yeah if, if he, of all people in that match, our truth is probably the last one who should win that championship. Which maybe Cody. Maybe Cody. But other than that. Oh, no. Stardust much more. Deserves to be champion than R-Truth. Okay. At least there would be a sign of doing something with the angle. Yep. Even if you don't want that, I don't know. We got a tag, and we got a tag team match. It's pretty much the same type of cluster. They shoehorned in a tag division. Apparently Los Matadores and the New Day are all of a sudden tag team title challengers, even though they never win. Yeah. The only reason the Ascension isn't in this match is because they couldn't get face paint on Hornswoggle, probably, because everybody has a third party out there with them. Yep. Who I'm sure is going to get involved. Oh, yeah. Put more people uh-huh. on the show. The Ascension yep. going to be doing a little pre-show match, I'm sure. Against Heath Slater and Curtis Axel, maybe. Or Heath Slater and somebody. Heath Slater <laughs> will be in the Battle Royal. Heath Slater returned, by the way. If you didn't watch main event last month, Heath Slater was back with his hair cut off. That's a travesty. Yeah. Cut the hair. Cut the hair. It's all gone. Most of it's gone. What but, do you think of this entire uh, tag team thing with I, a terrible new with a terrible New Day promo? I mean, the New Day uh, they're gonna they're gonna clap their way to the top. Mention this on Twitter. Mention this on the show. Xavier Woods is the reason why they're not working, I believe, and it's just I, wow. He is. I think the I'm the gimmick's terrible. It's not Xavier. The gimmick's Woods. terrible the gimmick's too. Terrible. But I think like Xavier Woods is like a charisma vacuum and just takes all interest possible away. Mm. from them if he was not in that feud and it was just a regular tag team i think they would be much over than they are okay impossible I, to prove. I, I just so I we're disagree. just gonna, we're just gonna go ahead and say i'm right because it's impossible to prove otherwise but uh yeah no i i don't care about this tag oh, you, know what, you know what they did they tipped the new day win in the inset promo because they said at wrestlemania we're going to be in that match and then they won which basically gave them credibility to be in the match <laughs> It's kind of weird. Those That's inset promos do more harm. For. They do more harm than good sometimes, those inset yeah. promos. Because they forget where in the show they're actually airing yeah. sometimes. But whatever. It's a four-way tag match. It's something thrown together. Fine. As long as Cesaro and Kid win, I'll be all right with it. But mm. if the Usos win back, I don't, you're not going to put it on the Matadores, are you? You're not going to put it on the New Day, are you? Uh, you might uh, not the Matadores. I wouldn't put it on the Matadores. <laughs> God, I hope not. Um, Nata- got- Nat- Natalia and uh, and uh, the Bull. 
<laughs> That's what you'll put it on. Uh, we got to talk about this Paul <laughs> Heyman promo. Okay. I'm going to talk about it. Paul Heyman came out. Yes. Said a lot of words in between his mic cutting out. What would you, that, that, you think about the, the most... Paul Heyman uh, Brock Lesnar segment? I wasn't in love with it as, as many people were. Because it sucked. I... Well, I won't go that far. It sucked. The best part of the promo was his delivery that was being cut off by Mike's going out three times because they think it's so cute to run this gimmick where we're going to censor him. Yeah, that's crap. I'm tired of that. Unless the payoff's going to be Solomon Crow. Well, (laughs) well, I wouldn't even agree with that, by the way. No, 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 you shouldn't. But but it's such a, it, it kills the momentum of his promos when you do that. Kills the momentum of the promos and it puts heat on Vince McMahon or the disembodied, yeah. you know, authority figure backstage where this promo, everything should be building up to Roman Reigns as the challenger. In the first half of the promo, he dismisses Roman Reigns as the son of a savage and then or the descendant of a savage or whatever, unevolved human. I, and I then, hated that. I hated that beginning of the promo. Yeah. The entire beginning about Roman Reigns was sports entertainment, try hard it promo. Was, and it was, it wasn't Heyman and then he gets, and it wasn't good. Right. And then he gets into Brock Lesnar versus the authority or Brock Lesnar versus Vince McMahon for this inside shoot, which isn't a WrestleMania match, nor anything that's happening in real life on this show. It's, it's happening in real life. And we're supposed to say, Oh, Brock Lesnar is fighting Vince McMahon. Well, whose side are you going to take? You're going to take Brock Lesnar's. There's two things that that stuck out to me. Number one, when you do cut off the mic, and I get this is another thing which I think they're overthinking it. I think they are thinking that, okay, we cut off the mic, Heyman gets a little bit angrier and flustered and, quote, shoots once you start cutting that mic and getting a little bit angrier, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's all part of the, the gimmick thing. They're, they're overthinking this. Just yeah. give him the mic and let him talk. Right. The second thing was the shoehorning in of the Montreal screw job. They mentioned that. Not only mentioned it, but they, they teased that it would happen again. Do you think that's on the table? No. Well, I mean, not I that he said know. it now. Not that he said it now, one. Okay. Well, I mean, everybody's thinking, well, you got to turn Roman here, which I think would be a bad idea. It basically says nothing we've done has worked Make to Roman, put Heyman with him. Yeah, Roman, your big heel. No, that would be a terrible idea. That'd be a terrible idea, I think. It puts all the it, good favor on Brock Lesnar. And then if Brock Lesnar goes to UFC, well, this guy that we like is gone. So why am I yeah. sticking around? Yeah. I, okay. I, I just want to put that. Uh, to you, okay. I, I now I'm convinced it's not, but it just it stuck out to me. It's like, why are they talking about this? Why are they talking about screwing Brock at? Are you sniffing on the air? Well, no. Stop Kill that. the gimmick. I paused. No. Oh. <laughs> I I turned my mic off so only you can hear it. Okay. Because I yeah I'm still kind of recovering from my illness last week, and I you oh, know, okay I talk for a I'm long Ill, period I'm of time and well. I can't breathe. I know it's crazy, right? We got to stop being sick. <sighs> I got to stop yeah. going to all these shows across the country so I <laughs> stop picking up germs from Ohio. I bought it, I bought, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the day off this time. I'm convinced I'm going to fall in love with PWG. <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah. I got a front row ticket for this next show. So, got a front yeah. row ticket to PWG right during the five-minute sellout. Ticket prices mm-hmm. were raised, but you managed to grab one up to mm-hmm. go see Andrew Everett versus Ricochet. 
Yeah, but uh, back to Heyman, sorry. <laughs> little aside. Yeah, it didn't work for me as much as it did uh, other pundits that I was reading and listening to this morning. I, I just, uh, I and I tried was... not to, and you know, I try not to listen to reviews, but it's like. I don't. All right, I don't am, am anymore. I, I, well, I was like, am I, when I, when I'm really confused over my own opinions as to whether or not they sound informed okay. or not. Or is, am I totally off base here? And then it's like, well, maybe Sorry. I am, but I'm going to put it to Rob. Yeah. <laughs> and I will be the uh, the decider. Oh, no, you're not. This is the way you go. Uh, but uh, let's talk about happy things. Rusev. <laughs> the best actor on the roster. Rusev is great. He's the best actor he's, on this roster. He's the best on the mic. Oh, my God. He's the best non-wrestler. He's uh-huh. the best wrestler. And they... He's the best tag team. He's the best high flyer. <laughs> Rusev is the best I, brawler. I saw Ah, oh, boy. He's the best that, TV show. He was such a valiant baby face refusing to tap and going out to the right. STF. Well, we talked about this last week. John Cena was going to have to do something dastardly to get Rusev to agree. But after all, it wasn't Rusev who agreed. It was Lana, because Lana was afraid that John Cena was going to murder Rusev in the ring. Didn't want to see I'm, Rusev uh, in pain. I'm not saying you should put Lana in an STF and get Rusev to agree. Can't but do Lana's... It. Lana's the connection to getting the match done, God, not you, beating, not beating up on Rusev. Animals out there! You last year you wanted Stephanie to get beat no, no, up. Hold on, this hold year on, you want on. Lana to get I did, beat I did up. Not, I did not say that. I did a- not say. That. I didn't say. Rewind the tape, said, producer. No, I said she's the conduit to get to the match. Right. You you do something to her, which makes or put her in a situation. Where you may force Rusev's hand to give you the match. You don't beat up the guy you're going to have the match with. By the way, you're undefeated heel, monster heel. Mm. Oh. <laughs> and then have the manager give the match. If John Cena loses at WrestleMania, perfectly fine. If he just beats up Rusev some more. All the you top stars, fa- The Rock and John Cena, just beat up Rusev so easily. That's great. <sighs> That's what we want. No, it's not. It's not I know you're being sarcastic, but but I it just it just seemed reversed to me. I well, I just I mean, I like the segment enough because again, Rusev is great. What I don't yes. like is John Cena came out and literally just had his way with Rusev with almost no fight. He just comes down and all of a sudden gets the STF in like nothing mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, Curtis Axel didn't put up much of a fight. It's not like Rusev was injured with John Cena coming down. Rusev was you know ready to fight again the next day. And then, uh, uh, oh, the other part where Rusev's a great actor was in the uh, when they were uh, in the trainer room. He had yeah. such great reactions. I was like, man, he yeah. is so, so he was good. disappointed in Lana. They, uh-huh. were, they were having the argument. Yeah. Wow. I like him. I like him a lot. You've, even you've even during the segment with John Cena, before John Cena comes out, where Lana is, uh, or maybe this was in the locker room, I'm forgetting already, but <laughs> Lana and Rusev are having like a meeting. And Lana's like telling Rusev something and Rusev is there like looking like, oh, yes, I should do that. You know, right before Rusev's promo, like even the small stuff like that, like Rusev is realistic in this, you know, meeting with his manager. Rusev's great. Rusev's the best thing on the show. Put him everywhere on the show. Stop putting Seth Rollins and Randy Orton in segment one and the last segment of the show. Put Rusev there and then have him Mm -hmm. beat up people like Heath Slater and Cody Rhodes. And then Stardust. And Axelmania. And Axelmania. 
make a tag team with Axelmania. That'd be great, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Rusev and Axelmania. Yeah. Um, nah. I don't want to talk about Raw anymore. Okay. I want to talk about NXT. The TV show or the or your trip Let's to Columbus? Let's talk about the TV show, and then we'll talk about the trip to uh, Columbus, which some of it will make TV. So I don't, I don't know exactly what. I mean, I have a pretty good idea, and I know there was the uh, segment sheet floating around, so I'm sure everyone else has an idea. But NXT TV this week, you finally got to see what I was praising when I went to this TV taping live. Tyler mm-hmm. Breeze fighting off the Rosebuds with his selfie stick. <laughs> his look when yeah. he had to walk through and you know what i i i made mention of this today this morning on twitter because i was watching the show mm-hmm. this is the best i've ever seen adam rose look in terms of reaction and character and being engaged he looked happy i mean it wasn't just the audience reacting to him but being in the ring and what he was doing there and kind of the knowing smirks he was giving to tyler breeze the entire mm-hmm. time it changed my opinion of Adam Rose. I know he's not the greatest worker in the world, and I know that you can't stand him. I, I can stand Adam got, Rose just fine. You've gone on tangents where you just hated him. Well, but. I hate I hate this Adam <clears throat> Rose presentation. I don't hate Leo Kruger, Adam Rose, whatever he wants to But I to. thought, I mean, it was really something to watch, and I'm like, man, he's very entertaining. He can be very, very entertaining if they just didn't give him crappy material to work with. Well, That's just, exactly, because this guy is coming down for NXT just to have a match, so he's kind of loose. He doesn't have to worry about anything. He doesn't have right. guys telling him, you know, yeah. how bad he is or what he's doing wrong and all this stuff. He just wrestled. Uh, I, no, I enjoyed the uh, I, I enjoyed the entire ep- the episode in its entirety. I want uh, I want Enzo Bailey and Sasha to make ninety billion dollars between them because I loved them all on the show. I thought that I thought that backstage promo with Enzo cast and Carmella was hilarious. Yeah. It's just they're, they're just, funny people. Just Enzo and his and his kind of the Ellen DeGeneres rambling kind of yeah, I got your back. I did it. it, it yeah. And okay. Enzo uh, Enzo kind of stole the show on these uh, Ohio tapings. He didn't even wrestle on the second show in Cleveland. But they still stole the show because the people are hyped about that entrance. People okay. are hyped about the uh you know, the gimmick they do, the S-A-W-F-T, they're, they're hyped about some Enzo Amori and Big Cass. They're hyped about it. And then uh, Sasha Bailey. Banks and Charlotte. Oh, yeah. Sasha yeah, Banks well, and Charlotte. Bailey's promo was strong, too. Yeah, I mean, she just... Right. Yeah. Stop. She's, she's so money. And then Charlotte, or Charlotte and Sasha. I really enjoyed the match. Uh, <laughs> my favorite moment of the match was um, during the ring introductions... Watching Sasha getting so apoplectic about the amount of time Charlotte's posing right. during her intro. Yeah. Oh, that killed me. I, she just does she does so many of the little Weasley heel things so so well. Yeah. I just I yeah. don't I don't I want Vince McMahon to, to be hospitalized in a coma so that he doesn't get control put, of these people that I Sasha love so much. Put Sasha in the main event of Extreme Rules. Okay, just put I her would, put her against somebody. Put her I'd against, rather uh, watch Trish. I'd rather watch Charlotte and Sasha than careful Brie, than Brie, AJ and the Bellas. Maybe all of them. I gotta yeah. be I gotta yeah. be honest with you. I mean, I AJ AJ's lost a bit of a step in my opinion in the ring since being on the main AJ's roster. AJ's starting to get that if you're an ROH fan, the Michael uh, Elgin vibe, where yeah. really super over, and then they do weird things, and she, and they're off TV, and then they come back. And they're not quite nearly as over. 
and you're like, here's why did I like them in the first place? Here's my question. Is it the small building that helps Sasha and Charlotte? And, and I mean, I know the fan base is rabid, but it, I mean, would this would that kind of match get over in a main event arena? I think it would. The match would. Okay. As far as the crowd reactions, yes, working in a small building of 400 fans who are desperate yes. to be there absolutely helps them. Yeah. Instead of yeah, 10,000 fans of which only 1,000 really, really, really want to be there. Yes. Right. But as far as a small building, no, that that type of match can play in a big building. It just, okay. You got to get the fans to be invested in it or else they're just going to sit there and watch and wonder why this women's match is going 15 minutes. But no, I really... Uh, they're used to one minute. I, I like that they change things up in their match. They don't do the same match over and over no, again. They, they're just subtle they little things, things in there. And they add things. Yeah. Every Sasha and really, Charlotte match has progressed. And, and you can tell in a way, and I, I know that this is long since canon, but that the girls are very tight with one another down there in NXT in mm-hmm. terms of working together and stuff. You can tell that these two enjoy working together and they have a lot of trust in one another when they're in there. Yeah. I think part of it too, is the fact that they know when they have a match together, one, it's going to be important. They're yeah. not, you know, bogged down with how they're second on the card in this meaningless title match. They know what they're doing is important. So they go out to prove to everyone that, you know, they can back that up, mm-hmm. that they can back up the faith that's in them. Um, NXT traveled to Ohio. We kind of previewed this on last week's show. Uh, oh, I, one more, one more thing. I don't okay. know. Did you wa- Did you actually watch the TV? Uh, yeah. Okay, so you're aware we have an event on WrestleMania week on that Wednesday. Say again. March 25th. Uh huh. They're doing an NXT card. Right on the on the air, a special. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that, well, that makes sense. Yeah, they're going to tape during, like, they're doing the access stuff. Yeah. Is that, okay, uh, well, what did they no, say no, in that commercial? Because I, I don't think I saw that. I think they're doing it from Full Sail, aren't they? On the Wednesday of WrestleMania week? Impossible. And they're just gonna... No, okay, they're, they're I don't not. know. They're not. I know that part. <laughs> they, they, they just announced the special for the 25th, that's all. I right. think the special's going to consist but... of, uh... Oh, no, no, the special, it's not a special. That's just when the Finn Balor, uh, Kevin Owens matches. It's not really a special. They're building it up because they're oh, hyping okay. you for the title match. It's a regular oh. already taped show. But okay. that's when the title match will air. Huh. Okay. Then I, I'm mistaken. I apologize. I think they're still going to tape stuff during Access. As, as we'll talk about here uh, in Ohio, they taped yes. the Columbus show. They taped everything. And some of it in its entirety will air as part of NXT TV. Others will be saved for a DVD release of the best of NXT. Others will be just put together in video packages. But they take now, TV Rob here McCarran, in Columbus. Rob McCarron, what possessed you to get into a car last second and drive to Columbus, Ohio? So it's Thursday afternoon. I'm thinking, you know what? I got nothing else to do today. Let me see how much tickets are in case I wanted to go. Because at last minute, I wasn't going to get a comp for this one. So right. I look at StubHub. And generally, the best time to find a ticket for a big event that's maybe sold out or close to it is last minute when the people are desperate to get rid of the tickets for something because they know they're not going. Mm-hmm. So I got a pretty good deal on ticket and I got to, uh, I immediately get in the car cause it's like 3 PM and this show is supposed to start at seven. So at 3 PM in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I get in the car, I go have my ticket wait in this incredibly long line longer than I was expecting. Cause they were in the small portion of the LC Pavilion in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. 
So I'm waiting outside. It's freezing. It's 10 degrees out. Freezing cold. And finally get in. It's standing room only. There were about 1,100 people in the building Mm -hmm. and only about 300 seats. And then a set of of bleachers. It's a PWG show all of a sudden. (laughs) Exactly. 300 seats, a set of bleachers, which could probably hold about maybe 80 to 100 people. So 400 of the 1,100 in there have seats. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is standing. So my important mission, as everyone else is getting beer and food before the show, my mission was to slither my way in somewhere that was a good standing spot. And I found an okay standing spot. But luckily, I had no people in front of me, so I got a good vantage point. I put some pictures up at shakedownropes.com, wrote up a thing all about the show, so all the results, all the notes and everything about it. But this show was awesome. It was nice. not It was not about four-star to five-star classic matches. It was okay. not about seeing the best wrestling in the entire world. This was about fun. This And it was a massively fun show. Everyone in the crowd was a... NXT viewer. Everyone knew what was going on on NXT. Triple H opened the show. Everyone knew to cheer him because he's not bad guy Triple H to these people. It was like a full sale crowd transplanted into Columbus, Ohio. That's the best I can describe it. And this crowd may be even hotter because they were a full sale crowd yet at the same time never saw NXT live before. So they were super excited about it. Triple H comes out, gives the rah-rah, you know, NXT woohoo speech and people are cheering him like crazy Corey graves is your host with greg hamilton the new blonde guy on tv jojo is your ring announcer looking as sweet as ever a little cutie pie jojo a little sweetheart well jojo i didn't know you i didn't know you had a thing for jojo well no i mean she's a i don't have to have a thing to acknowledge that she's a little sweetheart okay she's a nice lady i'm sure uh (laughs) think about jojo is And you'll never see this unless you look at it and watch for it, which is what I do. I go to these shows and I watch the wrestling, but I also look at how the referees work. And I also look at all the peripherals, mostly the ring announcer. This Jojo in between matches is just staring straight ahead blankly, not watching the wrestling, not really paying attention to anything. She's staring ahead like, what were the choices that I made to get myself here? (laughs) Just staring right ahead. My dad is a probably. famous baseball player. Why am I announcing for WWE? Probably a bit nervous. Ner- I, yeah, I I don't know if she's nervous anymore because she's been doing it long enough time. I just don't think she likes wrestling, honestly. She just wanted to be on TV? I honestly don't think she likes wrestling. Okay. Like, she's just there, and she's not going to watch the match because she doesn't <clears> care. And she's just staring ahead because she's got nothing else to do. What is she going to do for 10 minutes while Tyler Breeze and Hideo Itami wrestle? You know? I don't know. But the uh, the first match in the show, and everyone thought this was weird, they started out hot. Finn Balor, Hideo Itami against the nice. villains. It was a showcase mm. for Hideo Itami and Finn Balor. Uh, the best match on the show to this point. It was the first match on the show. Uh, but good stuff. And this is why I'm not going to talk about what happened in the match because the matches weren't the most important thing. It was the crowd reactions. Okay. These people were pro-NXT. These people were excited. They got 1,100 people into this thing in Columbus, Ohio. Can you imagine if they ran a show in a New York City or a Philadelphia with this card? Philly, yes. New York City, I'm not sure they'd be. New York City, it, they're maybe. selling out the Hammerstein. Okay. Oh, absolutely they are. And it would be just as rabid of a crowd. 
There's It'd a be lot your of EC- it would be it would be your ECW crowd from the Hammerstein. You know what? It would be your NXT crowd, honestly. It's becoming that. I, you know, you know what I meant, though. No, that, no, yeah, that kind oh. of rabid fan base type that I would know, be yeah. very vocal and into it. Alexa Bliss versus Sasha Banks was the second match in the show. They, Alexa was from Columbus, so she got the match here. She was cheered early on, but then the people just reacted to Sasha like she was the star, and Alexa's not. So everyone was mm-hmm. pro Sasha towards the end. And Alexa Bliss actually got the win via count out of the ring, and the fans booed. They booed this non-finish. They wanted a finish to this match, even if it was Sasha winning, and probably preferred <laughs> Sasha beating their hometown girl. Oh, this is a no-win situation. You beat the hometown girl, people go, yep, you're doing the job in your hometown. Nope. I think you get the count out finish. I honestly don't think people would care about that one bit at all. Okay. I don't think so. I think people would be would have been happy. Because I got to feel there were a lot of people in this crowd like me who weren't from Columbus. Okay. Like some that were from Ohio around there, but others maybe from a little bit further away. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Alexa Bliss um, discovered at the Arnold Classic? She was. Huh. She had competed there every year since she was like nine until last year because she was in WWE. Right. Okay. So it kind of has a hometown thing for her. Uh, Baron, Baron Corbin beat Tyson Kidd with the end of days. Uh, a match that was all kid, actually. Baron Corbin was getting the heat for most of the match. Kid was on top. It's an interesting choice, but kid, you could you could do worse than being in the in the ring with a guy like Tyson Kid. Yeah, and these are the types of guys that you should be on because technically this was a house show. Baron Corbin should right. be doing these ten minute matches with a Tyson Kid with someone Maybe they're like lear- that. The, yeah, they're learning their lesson from the Roman Reigns experiment, I think. Yeah, but, you know, so Baron Corbin, because he's the babyface in this match, is getting the heat on him for the whole time. The crowd is loving Tyson Kidd. By the end of this match, they're booing Baron Corbin, cheering Tyson Kidd, and Corbin goes with it, which is, I think, the most impressive thing he could have done on this entire night, was not just trying to be super babyface no matter what. He was egging the crowd on. He was, you know, putting his arms up, kind of like what Raven used to do, just like soaking in. The booze, like, yeah, come at me. I'm the one who's going to win here. So come at okay. me. Baron Corbin impressed me because he was willing to go with the way the crowd was reacting. It sounds like this crowd was a very heel, pro-heel crowd. This crowd was here to see the guys that they like. Okay. The Tyson Kids, the Finn Balors, the, the Sasha Bankses. They were here okay. to cheer for who they liked no matter what, whether they were baby faces or heels. Because it was a smarky crowd, you know. Uh, and they like Big Cass and Enzo because Big Cass and Enzo were next. Big Cass beat Wesley Blake. Or, or no, sorry, say that the other way around. Wesley Blake beat Big Cass via roll-up because uh, you know, there was some distraction going on there. But mm. it was a five-minute entrance for about a six-minute match. <laughs> and if they, if they never did the match and only did the entrance, this crowd would have been ecstatic. Okay. Because they were so into Enzo Amore and Big Cash. And they were making fun of the Australian accents. And they were making fun of the fact that they wanted Carmella. And it was so good. It was so good. I'm, I'm very interested in your uh, quote-unquote, I guess, the main event match. Is that what it was? The main event your, match. Your Ryback Big Show. Big Show and Ryback are next. Okay. Loved it. Best segment on the show. And I don't say this sarcastically. I think people no. thought I was tweeting at it like I was being sarcastic or no, being a I, troll. I, I read it and I went, best, I believe it, best but I want to hear about segment it. segment on the show. Big Show comes out, and 
those who got tickets earlier knew the advertisements, knew that Big Show and Ryback were advertised to this show, but he was still somewhat of a surprise to half of the crowd because I don't think they were still expecting these two to wrestle. So mm-hmm. Big Show comes out. People are shocked. They pop huge because they weren't expecting it. He's a surprise. And then the Ryback comes out. An even bigger pop. Oh my God, I can't believe this match is happening in NXT. And that's when people realized, I can't believe this match is happening in NXT. So the crowd... You know, kind of like Batista and Big Show at the Hammerstein on that one ECW show. They're thinking, what are these two main roster guys, and especially these two main roster guys, doing on our NXT show? So they react how they figure they're supposed to react. They start booing the two. They start heckling Big Show. They start, you know, just chanting, like, same old shit. They're chanting, please retire. Please retire, Adam. Right. It was the please retire chant. They got Big Show to pause during the match. Like he sent Ryback down and Ryback selling. Big Show goes and grabs the mic. He says, please retire. I got 10 years left on a guaranteed contract. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and that's what, and Ryback gets up and starts beating him some more. Like Big Show seemed like he was going to say some more stuff, but Ryback comes up and beats him. And that's, and the crowd starts chanting 10 more years, 10 more years. So that kind of wins the crowd over a little bit. But then... Big Show is in this match hitting a Vader bomb on Ryback, goes up top to the top rope, and people are like, oh, shit, he's going up top. And Ryback does, huh? (laughs) It's crazy. He's going up top. Ryback does the Ric Flair spot where he catches him, gives him the gorilla plus Ah. slam to the floor. And that's where Big Show and Ryback really won the crowd over. Because these two guys could have come out here and done the basic house show match, like a Kevin Nash house show match where nothing happens and they don't hit each other. Big Show is taking big bump after big bump after big bump. He takes the uh, the finisher. I forget the shell shock. He takes the finisher in this match. They won the crowd over based on Big Show's mic work and the match itself. The match was really good. Like I almost I would think it was actually the best match of the first half of the show. And then as a segment, great fun. Big Show wins him over. After the match, Big Show goes to get the mic again. He's selling his back. He's hurt. He grabs the mic. He kind of sighs. He does one of these. Ten more years. (sighs) Goes off. (laughs) And the crowd applauds him. Yeah. They know how to work that crowd. And I I, was great. One of the pictures I put up on the post at shakedownropes.com was right after Big Show says this. And he's laughing with the crowd. And the crowd's applauding him. They gave him a standing ovation on the way out. Like, a lot of these people who weren't there are saying, why would you do Big Show and Ryback? That was stupid on this NXT show. Best mm-hmm. segment of the show was Big nice. Show and Ryback. Happy for them. It was awesome. They do an intermission. No one moves during this intermission <laughs> because it's standing room only. Only the people in seats actually get up and go somewhere because they know they have a seat to come back to. Everyone standing stays in their spot because they know if they move... Their spot is taken. Right. So everyone stays put. It was great. It was the first time I'd seen an intermission like that where only 10% of the crowd actually gets up. They come back with Tyler Breeze and Callisto. Callisto impressing the crowd with his high flying. Mm -hmm. But Tyler Breeze getting the win here with the beauty shot because Tyler Breeze is a superstar. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
I don't know. I don't know what kind of reaction you wanted from me. I don't know what reaction I want from you. But he's got the selfie stick. He does the big entrance. Everyone's popping for the entrance because Tyler Breeze is a superstar. Uh, He's ready. What? He's ready for the main roster. Yeah, probably. You're probably right. Mm -hmm. Charlotte and Bailey come out and have a match. Ric Flair comes out first, so he's another surprise. He was actually advertised for the show, but again, a surprise to most people. Comes out, promotes that he has to be a good guy tonight, so he can't bash Ohio State. First thing he said, it's got to be a good guy tonight. Introduces Charlotte, introduces Bailey. Uh, The two wrestle what, this was the best match in the show now. Charlotte and Bailey. Best match on the show to this point. Great stuff. Ric Flair is on the outside going crazy like a madman, cheering on his daughter. Bailey at one point hit a move onto Charlotte in the corner that Ric Flair was standing at. Mm-hmm. And Bailey's down on the mat selling as she's uh, getting up from this big move she just hit. And Ric Flair is there with his fist cocked like he's going to punch her in the face. <laughs> like, come closer, I'll punch you. So great. Uh, Charlotte gets the win. No, wait, did Charlotte win? Who won this match? Charlotte did get the win. I didn't win. go to the show. I'm trying to read my <laughs> report at the same time because I forget who won all these things. Because really, it wasn't like, about winning and losing. Uh, right. Charlotte got the win with the diamond dust huh. of all moves. The old corner stunner. Like, okay, good for her trying new moves on house shows. Because it was it was stuff like this where you had Big Show, you know, being a baby face at the end. Where you had Baron Corbin being a heel and Charlotte hitting the diamond dust. Where it it suddenly brought back, because this was like a pay-per-view atmosphere. Like, this could have easily been an NXT takeover. But no, it was a house show. These girls and these men were trying new things in front of a larger, rabid crowd. It was a house show. And I kept having to remind myself of that, because it did not feel like a house show. But Did uh, Bailey try and hug Ric Flair? Bailey hugged Ric Flair at the end. <laughs> Okay. Got the. It was Good. funny because Bailey got the hug, and then Charlotte goes for the fist bump with her dad. Like even Charlotte doesn't hug Ric Flair. Bailey right. is the only one who gets to hug Ric Flair. <laughs> and it was an keep aw- the gimmick strong. It was one of those moments where the crowd goes awe. Like every a thousand people in a small building, Ric Flair and Bailey are hugging, and they're all going awe. It was so <laughs> great. Um, the next match. I was so happy for because I missed it at NXT TV because I wasn't there for the 18th of February. Alex Riley and Kevin Owens had this kick-ass brawl. Kevin Owens was mocking Alex Riley. He was laughing in his face. Alex Riley was this uh, guy who, first of all, looks like he's 50 years old. Like, he doesn't shave now. He's got the long hair. He's old. But... He's going at it with Kevin Owens. Like, it was weird dynamic because Owens is, like, trying to wrestle. Or, no, Riley's trying to wrestle Owens, but Owens just wants to beat him up. Like, get this guy out of my face. I want to beat his ass. Right. And they proceed to have a really strong, like, almost strong style match where Kevin Owens is just punching him in the face. Alex Riley, by the end, has to just punch back because he knows he's not going to have a grappling contest with Kevin Owens. He has to fight him. And this is one of the matches that you might see on TV, or at least part of it. Because after it was all said and done, Kevin Owens wins with the pop-up powerbomb. Finn Balor comes out. As Kevin Owens is about to powerbomb Alex Riley on the ring apron, Finn Balor makes the save. And he has a brawl with Kevin Owens. And I figure this will air 
probably on this week or next week's NXT TV because it will set up that March 25th title match between Finn Balor and Kevin Owens. So you will see this on TV for NXT. How did Alex Riley look? A lot of ring rust or was he? Oh, it looks uh, great. I like Alex Riley, so I might be biased, but he looks great. He's having these 10-minute matches with Kevin Owens. Uh, He had a pretty good match with CJ Parker that you'll see on NXT TV this week. Um, You know, there might be some ring rust there if he's trying to go longer, but perfectly acceptable. You know, he was taking the heat a lot because he was the babyface in the Owens match, so he was taking the heat a lot. He's basically selling for eight minutes, Mm -hmm. but Alex Riley looked good. I think people got to give him a chance. People like the entrance. People pop for Alex Riley. And they weren't pro Kevin Owens as much as a crowd would normally be. Like, because say what you will about these crowds. Like, they cheer for who they like. But at the same time, when it comes to Kevin Owens, they're smart. They know this is the guy that took out their favorite guy, Sami Zayn. So they're going to boo Kevin Owens no matter what, how much they like him. It's such like a, it's a smart... Like, we can't cheer this guy because he took out our favorite guy. And that's what a heel should be. A monster heel on top should be. Getting booze no matter what. And Kevin Owens does that. Agreed. And their main event was Adrian Neville and Cesaro, who had the best match on the show. They went about 15 minutes. uh, Counter after counter. Cesaro was acting as the base for Adrian Neville as he does all his, you know, just high flying and and just crazy moves. Uh, Cesaro does get the win with the neutralizer. He blocked the uh, the red arrow at the end as I blank on every finishing move on the show. <laughs> Great match. Cesaro was kind of a surprise. Again, he was a guy who was not advertised for the show. But once Tyson Kidd uh, was on the show, people started murmuring that Cesaro might be there as well. And then during intermission, I had actually seen Cesaro walking around. So I tweeted out Cesaro is here, not expecting him to wrestle or anything, just thinking he might be there on the way to the house shows. But yeah, Cesaro wrestled on the show. It was a main event that people were happy for. Cesaro got the win. He was a crowd favorite on this show. People were actually chanting, you know, both these guys, both these guys, because they didn't like one over the other. They wanted both of these guys to be awesome. And they were. It was a very, it was a great way to end what was a fantastically fun show. Sounds like it. It was great fun. It wasn't about the best matches. It wasn't about who won and lost. It was about fun. And these people had a great time. And if they come back to the Arnold next year, they're going to sell out quickly again. And people are going to be hyped for them to come back. It's going to be awesome. Go go NXT. There's a longer NXT conversation that we have to have at some point. We might have the long conversation next week. But it kind of goes into uh, ROH is this weekend. I'm going. Rich Rich from Voices of Wrestling is going to this ROH show in Chicago on Saturday. The main event is Samoa Joe against Michael Elgin. Samoa Joe, a lot of the, <laughs> it, it happened. Isn't that, that, that the main event you didn't want? It happened. Well, it was the main event <laughs> that we didn't want, but we knew was happening for the last two weeks, and it happens. But also on the show, Cliff Compton, of all people, going up against Jay Lethal in a street fight. He's local. God, I fucking hate Cliff Compton. Well, would you rather have... Would you rather have Cabana? Yes, I okay. would, actually. I don't know what people see in Cliff Compton. I don't either. I don't know. But Samoa Joe, the reason I bring this up is there's been a lot of talk now with Samoa Joe and the Briscoes signing with WWE this uh, this month. I can see both signing. 
I could see the Briscoes being very, very good in NXT because it's run like pro wrestling. Well, it's, it's run I like pro wrestling, I, and it's run like a ring of a territory. honor. Triple yeah, H is bringing in his own ring of honor. Yeah. I just can't see the Briscoes <laughs> going to the main roster and succeeding as the Briscoes. Kind of like, well, well, I mean, the the, the 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 immediate corollary is, of course, uh, the Bushwhackers. When uh, the Sheepherders becoming the Bushwhackers, the Sheepherders, these bloody brawlers who are tough guys cutting angry promos, and all of a sudden they're licking people when they get to WWF. I I could see the Briscoes being your quote unquote permanent. Well, that's, NXT tag that's team. the discussion there is it's ve- it's becoming clear that Triple H is signing guys for NXT. He's not yeah. signing them to become WWE superstars. Right. He's signing them for NXT. But why would they take the pay cut knowing that? Because they're I, taking a pay cut to go I to think NXT. What's being sold at them is the chance to come here and train and become WWE superstars. Now, I okay. call them NXT lifers, not because they're going to be in NXT for all time or because they're only signed to work there and not WWE. I say that because they're signed to work NXT with no expectation from WWE that they will be in the main roster. It may right. happen at some point. Maybe there's an act that just clicks and Vince wants them on TV, but they're signed for NXT. They're not signed with the intent to go to WWE or any plans to go to the actual main roster on the show. So these are the types of guys. Briscoe's an NXT lifer. They're guys who are signed for NXT specifically. You know what? I got to kind of recant my statement there. Mark is ready made for the WWE roster. Jay is the last pure pro wrestler in terms of promos left, I think, in terms of always cutting kind of the angry fighting promo. Um. But we'll we'll see how they do. But it, if they, it, if, they, it, if they want to do it, I'm happy for them. I could just I just I don't know. It, it's just looking as if you know that that Hunter's really going full throttle on this, and the time to wait is over. It's full throttle now on NXT being the new Ring of Honor, and that's what he's trying yeah. to do: build an independent. Yeah. So not only he has it on WWE Network, but he's got this thing. You know, thing that could draw better than some WWE house shows be this third Bill. touring brand. It's we've been talking about it for a while, and now it's just starting to take shape in big forms here. Well, it's interesting because it's the other side of the coin of the territory days. Not only are you building your own independent, you're killing independents in the process, or at least you're trying to yeah. in they, some way. They tried to get all these independents to stop running shows at WrestleMania weekend by making it harder to get public buildings and so forth. All the independents found buildings after all. Well, the next big way is to take all the talent away. Have yeah. your own independent. Have your own NXT shows running the fairgrounds at WrestleMania weekend. I'm not sure I... I'm not sure I can get behind that, to be honest with you. I mean, you got to, I mean, it's the good thing about the territories is you could bring in guys who worked different ways into your product and it became a more interesting product that way. If you kill the independents, well, I mean, you're not going to kill the independents. You're not going to, you're not going to kill, you're not going to kill them totally, but let's put it this way. You look at, you know, say my local independent PWG, you look at the card for this next show, as opposed to a card from a year and a half ago. There's a significant talent gap there. Yeah. Although it does seem like it's a better card than what you got on paper going into the last show you went to. Very true. Yeah. Very true. So at least it's back on the up. Got in Zack Sabre and all these guys. But it's an interesting dynamic, and I think it, it requires a longer conversation at some point, like strictly on NXT, because it's developmental 
And Triple H talks about how he's trying to make this a larger brand and so forth. But still, you're sending guys to the Performance Center to learn. And they're trying to learn for the main roster by working NXT TV. Well, if you're making NXT TV all about the guys who already know what they're doing, then how is a guy like a Baron Corbin, uh, a Braun Stowman, a Chad Gable, where do they fit in? True. So we'll we'll no, see. We'll, and, we'll have that we'll have that conversation later. We have uh, we'll we'll have that we conversation have later if if we uh, get confirmation that the Briscoes and Samoa Joe are indeed going there. And the only confirmation we may get is them showing up on a TV taping, like in April. Well, or Jay, May. well Jay would have to drop the title. Yeah, he's well, not going to NXT with the ROH title, which is another so weird dynamic because is he going to drop it to Joe at Supercode of Honor? Is he going to drop it the very next show? I don't know. Supercard of Honor, though, with Samoa Joe versus Jay Briscoe was an interesting match. But uh, another interesting match. Rick Rude and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat from Beach Blast 1992 in the first of the modern Iron Man matches. Most falls in 30 minutes wins you this match. And I must say before anything, Jesse Ventura, so good during this match. One, he didn't know the rules. Like it was the old, it was the Donovan McNabb and you know what you get from every football player after there's a, uh, after there's a tie at the end of a game. Like, how did that happen? Jesse Ventura, it's tied up at three to three and there are about five minutes left. And Jesse (laughs) Ventura is, you know, oh, this, I can't wait for sudden death. And Jim Ross has to tell him, nope, it would end in a tie. What? No sudden death. You gotta be kidding me, JR. Uh, good times. Two things on yeah, two things on Ventura that I'll add. Uh, number one, that first interplay between him and Ross, where Ross goes, I don't understand why he's even bringing the title belt out, mm-hmm. and and Ventura not missing a beat goes because it's important. Yeah, it's important. I just that went, you, oh, he's oh, the champion. Oh, oh, oh. It's important. Oh. It was a non-title match. Rick Rude was the U.S. champion, but it was a non-title yes. match. Um, positioning on this card was interesting before I get to my other Ventura note mm-hmm. positioning on this card was interesting because it was after the world title match, which was yeah. in the middle of the card, which was, which is another weird Watts type of thing. Cause this is the bill Watts era. We're yep. talking about here. We'll talk about which the was, the, which, which, which was sting and cactus Jack falls count anywhere. Two jobbers. How dare you? <laughs> That's a pretty good, it was a pretty good match too, but 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 I mean, you remember the complaints when CM Punk left was, well, he's the champ, but he's not the main event. He's not the guy. Right. WCW was doing the same thing with their world champ here well, in it's, Sting. It's a different dynamic in the fact that you could argue that they were just trying to make importance on the other belt. Like, look at how important this belt is that we're positioning it after the world champion. Whereas WWE was just putting random stuff on top while they buried the world champion. Well, you had three matches after the world title match, yeah. I believe, on the beach blast card. And, uh, well, enough of that tangent. Uh, the other thing the other thing that made Ventura so good in this match was <laughs> the, uh, the bizarro world he lived in, where Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is the cheating, conniving heel yeah. who's planning, and Rick Rude is the valiant, brave... Babyface who wants to pose for all the fans and please all the ladies. Yeah. 
Yeah. That was great when he yeah. when he did the first rude awakening and he's hurt his ribs and he he's selling. He goes, it goes. Look how brave he is trying yeah. to give the women what they want. He's trying. Just, oh. He's trying to thrill the women and he's yeah. trying to do the bump and grind to the best of his abilities. Uh, yeah, he did, yeah. There's that twice because he does the uh, the arm pose with about seven minutes left, I think. And look at this brave, valiant <laughs> man like, trying to give the women in the audience what they it's came what to they see. Were yes. <laughs> He hurts his ribs like in the first two minutes of the match, and he's selling him the rest of the way. Uh, That's what they call it. They call, they call it a gutsy attempt. Yes, a gutsy <laughs> attempt. Rick Rude goes up three to one because he sacrificed a fall on himself. He went on the top rope, and to sell how dangerous going from the top rope is, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat lost three falls basically because of this. Well, you're bearing. I mean, you're kind of uh, you're kind of glossing over a lot of this. Well, go, you you do the uh, the meat and potatoes, and I'll do the okay. Uh, All right, we'll go do ahead. it. Go um, ahead. <laughs> the thing that shows you that wrestling is a time capsule during the introductions. Uh, you can tell it's 1992 because Jim Ross both makes a reference to the Dan Quayle potato incident, yeah, and the and the Ice Tea Cop Killer incident. That Ice Tea's never the, going in anywhere. The, in the same sentence, yeah. Uh, yeah, for the first eight minutes or so, Ricky Steamboat, <laughs> Ricky Steamboat starts this match. This this is a fight dressed up as a wrestling match, so there yeah. is no lockup to start with. Right. He still has his gear on, and he's beating the crap out of Rick Rude, and he's really hammering the ribs and the body area. Mm-hmm. Just it, it's just a total total beatdown, and 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 Jesse Ventura is apoplectic. That. I love that word today, apoplectic. Uh, that that uh, that steamboat used his kid to distract Rude so that he could just attack him and give this beatdown. And so for the the entire time of the beatdown, Jesse Ventura is burying Steamboat as a heel. Mm-hmm. And then Rude gets a quick knee, a schoolboy, and he holds the tights and he gets a quick pin. Yep, which is amazing. <laughs> it, to me in terms of storytelling it's like you've been watching this beat down and you and you know in, in wwe parlance it's kind of like one fall one fall one fall one fall and then the cl- climax in this one the face doesn't get the first fall the heel does by holding the tights after a face beat down which is awesome and then uh yeah ventura with the great hockey analogy it's like a hockey team that's taken 12 shots has a guy on a goal and then the other yeah. team goes down and scores on their first one i went right. wow they're calling this like a sport. It was good awesome. analogy. It was Keep announcers, you know, putting things in context. Amazing. And then, and then, you know, Ross saying there's no rest period, which sets up Rick Rude getting an immediate rude awakening and getting another fall to go up to nothing. Mm-hmm. And this crowd is just stunned. And it's great. Here's where Jesse Ventura really starts earning his money because he's like, all right, now's the time to stall. Don't do any high-risk moves. Don't do anything. You're up, you're up, you're up. But Rick Rude, this is 1992 WCW, remember, mm-hmm. goes up to the top rope, willing to sacrifice a fall through a DQ yep. to, 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 to uh, land a knee off the top rope onto Ricky Steamboat. Yes, and they sell this as just a diabolical It was, it was a diabolical injury. thing to do. Injury but, move. And, of course, Ventura is selling it as a smart move. He well, sacri- not only... He's valiant. Yeah. He sacrificed one fall to make sure that he would win three. 
Oh, uh, yeah, and then Rude does the smart thing. He rolls him up immediately and pins him for a three count. Yep. Showing that all heels aren't stupid. <laughs> Not all of them. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, and then this is the time when uh, uh, Steamboat starts his comeback. And he starts working on the ribs in the back again. And all those early injuries start coming into play and whatnot. And this is the part where you were talking about uh, Ventura talking about, what do you mean there's no sudden death? There ought to be. <laughs> and, and, and Ventura's pleading with him, no, don't do any high-risk movers moves. Don't do anything stupid. Just keep things down on the mat. Grind out a win. You don't need to do anything. Rick Rude goes for a pile driver. And he hits it. And he gets a two count here. Now, I'm wondering if you noticed this on the show or if I wasn't didn't see this correctly, but referee Pee Wee Anderson here. Yep. When he was doing the count mm-hmm. on two, when he swings over his arm, is does he lift up Steamboat's shoulder? Probably. To make sure well, that that happened? Because it looked like Nick, that happened. Nick here. Patrick would always do this, where Nick Patrick would make the count with whatever arm. The other arm is under the shoulder, and it's, you know, to make sure the shoulder's down toward, sort of thing. But right. they, they wouldn't necessarily lift up, because obviously they're weaklings. But they would, like, you know, kind of provoke the guy. This is where you kick out here. So I, right. I didn't notice this- it specifically just because every WCW ref did something similar. I only noticed this because it looked like he did it a second time as well towards the end of the he, match he where, when he's, when it, where he's wiping his arm over and he, and he kind of lifts the shoulder up at the same time to get that. Yeah, so he gets it, the two. Yeah. It's one of those things and, that they could always sell as they were just checking and then his hand goes up because basically the hand, if you were putting it under a guy's shoulder, you'd be making sure. And then if their shoulder goes up, your hand's coming loose. Yeah, this was a bit different. This was, uh, I mean, he's down there one, right. two, and, and kind of... Yeah. You know, kind Pee-wee of Anderson, God love him. And okay, so uh, so that pile driver didn't work. Rude goes for a tombstone pile driver, mm-hmm. and Ricky and Ricky Steamboat reverses it into his own tombstone pile driver. I don't know if this is the first instance of that reversal ever happening on a big two match, but it was one of the first times I remember seeing it. Right, uh, and uh, Steamboat then. Gets uh gets the fall, so it's three to two. Starts back up, gets a back uh, superplex, and Ventura, of course, is selling. Oh, it's going back to the back and the ribs, blah blah blah. And uh, Steamboat gets a backslide after this, ties it up at three, with about what seven minutes to go. Yep, uh, I think here. Yeah, there's still about that much time left. Yep, <coughs> about seven minutes to go, and then the things don't get. Fast and frenzied. No. Until Ricky Steamboat. No, then we, go, then we go to a rest hold. Then we go to a sleeper. Well, Jesse Ventura during the match was promoting that Rick Rude should do more rest holds. And he literally called yeah. them resting he holds. Them, he, should do, he should do resting holds. He yeah. should do and resting he did, holds. He did at least one where it's like and Ventura goes, look at him. Doesn't he look like the dragon that they call him? <laughs> He's crawling on all fours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Steamboat starts getting his offense in. Gets a, gets a, uh, oh no, this is rude. Rude gets a sleeper on, on, uh, on steamboat to start with. And I loved, I loved the little thing rude did here with his legs to try and keep steamboats arms from getting to the ropes. Mm -hmm. Did you see that where he's using his legs to knock down his arms Oh yeah. and steamboat starting to go to sleep 
and it's right there in the corner and and uh peewee anderson is right there also in the corner watching the hand and almost mirroring the hand at the same time trying to see if it's gonna hit the rope or not and then all of a sudden here comes steamboat with the comeback he's coming back he's coming back he uses his feet onto the top turnbuckle to push back on rick rude yep bridges up and goes up four to three. Gets the pin with Rick Rude still applying the sleeper hold. And mm-hmm. Rick Rude has to let go of the sleeper hold after the pin because now he's only got like a minute. He's got about 35 seconds got, left. Got about 35 seconds to tie this one up and hope for a draw. And, and now Rick Rude, this is where Rick Rude turns it up doing clotheslines and near pins and near pins. And the thing to watch in this match during this is watching that kid in the front row. Because he's just jumping up and down, going, no, 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 no. He's so excited for this. And Rude's doing everything to try and pin him. Everything. But time time runs out. It's move, pin, move, pin, move, pin. pin. Everything. Trying to get this pinfall here. Going a million miles an hour as fast as he can after wrestling for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work. Ricky Steamboat gets the win. I I really love this match. I mean, it's not it's not my favorite match by any means, but I love that it's a, as opposed to a lot of Iron Man matches, it's not a dance. It's a fight dressed up as a wrestling match. And the storytelling was so logical in this match. Yeah. I loved it. Dylan, uh, but, Dylan Hales said that this may have been his favorite WCW match of all time. I can see that. It's it's pretty damn good. And it's, it's, it, for a half an I, hour match where lot. you know it's going a half an hour. Now, granted, I'd never seen this match before. And I also purposefully made sure not to know who won going in. But okay. it, it's still like you can watch this match today. Even if you know Ricky Steamboat wins. And it's still pretty thrilling. See, I watched this when it was first on. I watched this live because mm-hmm. um, I'm old. Right. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I was seven. I was interested in, yeah, I was interested in your take on this because it's a bit of a, it's that slower Southern style of match. And I was wondering if you were going to be like maybe even bored by it because it's not a lot of move, 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 move type thing as a young millennial, punk millennial that you are. No, because I enjoy the slow style. My favorite wrestler as I got really into wrestling in the early 2000s, because I was into WCW and I was into WWE from 97 on because that was just the first exposure I had to it. But when I got into independent wrestling, my favorite independent wrestler was Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan was not doing a million moves an hour. Right. I love the long Daniel Bryan matches where five minutes of it would be him attempting an arm bar. So I like the slower paced matches. Okay. I love wrestling for the stories that are told and for the, you know, the surprises and whatnot. But as far as matches go, I don't need a young bucks tag match every single time out. Yeah, this, yeah, this match. I mean, it's, it's funny because every, as I, my first note here in the first five minutes was, pardon me, every move is deliberate. It's like you punch a guy in the ribs and you take a back look to see if you have to punch him again in the ribs and you punch him again in the ribs and it's like you get those two punches in like a minute with a couple of breaks in there to watch the guy sell yeah and it's awesome i loved this match and this is my favorite generate this is my favorite incarnation of rick rude this time period this is right before i think he and sting went to japan and and he hurt his back i think he hurt his back in japan don't quote me on that but i think that's what it was but this was 
This is towards the end of the Dangerous Alliance, I believe, or at least in the middle of it, maybe the apex of it. Um, and WCW slash NWA Rick Rude is completely different than WWF Rick Rude. Yeah, they're both great. They're both great in their own way, but this is WCW Rick Rude is where you really get to see him as an artist mm-hmm. in there telling a story and working a match. Not that he wasn't great in the WWF. I love him in the WWF, but WCW, he was a maestro with Sting and with uh, with Flair. He had a nice match with Ric Flair and also with uh, Ricky Steamboat here. Go watch this match, WCW Beach Blast yes. 1992, match number 85 on WWE.com's Top 100 Matches to See Before You Die on WWE Network. Next week, we're going to talk match number 84. Number 84 is Tajiri versus Super Crazy. From ECW, Guilty as Charged, 1999. To Jerry, super crazy, which will be a far different match from the one we just reviewed. Yes. It will be far different. But you can follow along at shakethemropes.com slash top 100. We list all the matches from 100 to 1 and link to each Shake Them Ropes episode where we discussed each match. So you can follow along there. Feel free to hit us up on Twitter at Shake Them Ropes and comment on everything. uh, I want to hear them comment on... Yeah, I want to hear them comment about this match, especially people who had never seen it or people who were kind of anti-WCW. I want to hear your thoughts. Please feel free to tweet me at crapgame13. And uh, we will uh, be right back here with Dylan Hales. So, Jeff Hawkins, do you have a special goodbye for for uh, this week? Do you have a, a special anything? No? No, <laughs> my no cool special bet- my my cold we, medicine is worn off during the time of this show, and I'm starting to just get exhausted. I don't know if that's us, coming out forward on the camera. Neither of us can breathe. We're suffering oh. here. We're dying. We'll be back with Dylan Waco. Dylan Hale's on with us, the most popular guest on Shake Them Ropes history. That can't be true. Um, <laughs> I, it might be. It's either you or Harrington, and I'm pretty sure it's you. But uh, it's one of you two. Congratulations, well, you both beat Todd Martin. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll take the compliment. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. Yes, uh, absolutely. I, can't, I, I find it hard to believe, but I'll, I, I will believe you. I'll take your word for it, Rob. You got those Twitter followers who will actually click on the retweets. That's true. That's, that's what it true. Is. I, I, that, that's got to be it. That's yeah. got to be it. I was getting a lot of retweets tonight. I'll yeah, that. I saw you were a popular guy <laughs> with your opinions. Like I felt good when I would get like four retweets on something I said, and then I look at Dylan Hales and he's getting fifteen, and I'm like, ah, oh, I suck. Hey, hey, you know, you, I'm, I'm an expert at social media. Not really. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I was looking back and. One one of my more popular tweets tonight during Raw was my search for the dancing whiz girl. <laughs> One girl in the crowd who was dancing like crazy to Wiz Khalifa. I, she's my soulmate. I want to find her. Which might, which honestly may have been the highlight of the show, Rob. It was honestly, <laughs> I mean, that, it was the highlight of the show. That literally, like, not not trying to be funny, no. may have been. The highlight it was of the, the best. It was a refreshing five minutes. Like, I didn't have to think about it. Like, I didn't have to wonder where this was going. I can just sit there and enjoy it. And I can't do that anymore with anything else on Raw. I can't just sit there and enjoy it. And I mean, there's every once in a while a segment where I just, you know, none of this matters. So let's just watch it. But for the most part on Raw, I can't do that. 
Um, it's just, it's one of those things. And then we had the, uh, we're going to talk about some of the low lights on this show, which is why we're here. Cause this raw was, it was a, it was a polarizing <laughs> raw. You on Twitter called it, uh, maybe because of the talent and the time period, maybe the worst raw, uh, for in all time. Did you say that? Or just yes. this year, all time. Yes. Yeah. All time. I can't yeah. think I offhand. I can't. And granted it's a weekly show. So yeah. obviously it's, it's not easy to remember them all right uh, can't you know, remember but, last week's show but but that's kind of the point i mean mm-hmm. if you look at the talent roster that they have and the time of year this is with mania season at least theoretically in full swing there's absolutely no ex- excuse for them to do a th- nearly three and a half hour show where i didn't think there was a single good segment on the show excluding perhaps the connor uh the crusher video right <laughs> like, yes. like other, other than that, that i don't know that, that was there a bright was a, spot i don't know that there was a single thing in a like a three hour and 15 or whatever however how long it was i don't know if there was a single thing beyond that on the entire show that i would call good as a segment mm-hmm. not a single thing well i know there's going to be a segment out there that people are going to praise tomorrow and there are other podcasts out there where I can imagine the words that are going to be spoken. And they're just going to praise this thing, calling it the best thing on the show. And that was Paul Heyman tonight, uh, standing in the ring while his mic cuts off a couple of times, <laughs> talking about how it's the WWE championship is Brock Lesnar's title. It doesn't belong to WWE. Half of his promo was cutting on the disembodied, you know, authority figure backstage. Uh, barely mentioning Roman Reigns. And when he did mention Roman Reigns, he was basically, you know, a descendant of a savage who doesn't know what he's doing. Um, talk, let's talk about this Paul Heyman segment. I I was not enthused during it. I, like last week when Jeff on this very show was talking about how great the Paul Heyman promo was, I'm sitting there thinking there was nothing different from this, from most of the other promos he's cut. And I'm starting to get tired of Paul Heyman just standing in the ring for five minutes, waxing poetic about his client. At some point, something's got to happen. Well, this week, well, here- it, this week, it was completely different to me. This week, I'm, I'm just, he's burying the opponent. First of all, this, this match, as many people are saying, doesn't feel like a main event because they're giving all the TV time to Randy Orton and Seth Rollins. And, you know, Roman Reigns was an afterthought on this entire show. It was a different segment, but I didn't find it, you know, worthwhile or progressing or progressing to anything. What were your thoughts on Paul Heyman? Well, I mean, look, he's got great delivery. I will never the delivery tell you otherwise. Great, yes. Paul Heyman has tremendous delivery. And I think from that perspective, it is very easy to conclude that a lot of his promos are great just because so few people in modern wrestling even have good delivery, let right. alone great delivery. Yes. But when you, when you strip it down and look at the content of that segment and, and really the content of how the main event has been built for WrestleMania, I mean, what, what he did, he basically, uh, he did what I call, he triple H'd uh, Roman Reigns, which is to say that he race baited him, which, you know, I'm not a social justice warrior type. I'm really not, uh, although I'm uh, about as far out there as you can get on, uh, I, I suppose, the left wing, for lack of a better term, when it comes to social issues. But I don't I don't consider myself a social justice warrior type. Okay. But but look, the, the whole, oh, he's a savage. Uh, okay, whatever. I wasn't offended by it. I just thought, okay, this is a this is a, a line written by Triple H, and it's. It, I was hearkening back to the Triple H uh, Booker T build, which was another terrible build to a alleged WrestleMania main event. Um, that in and of itself was what it was. Then you got then he then he proceeds to go on and basically bury the idea of the Bray Wyatt Undertaker match 
<laughs> which funny enough right after that segment bray was put in a position to sort of have to uh, uh make us intrigued uh, with a, a pre-tape mm-hmm. about that match even though Heyman had just buried that match by sort of pointing out that you know brock had killed taker and he no longer is relevant at all uh, <laughs> uh so that was a complete burial then uh, about a third of what he said was uh, you know, this sort of worked shoot stuff, which don't get me wrong. I think um, in the abstract, it's compelling, you know, because everybody sort of has an idea that Brock might leave and he showed up at the UFC show last week or whatever. Right. But but think about this for a second. If Stephanie McMahon or, or really if anybody had gone out and cut a promo that was filled with work shoots, racial <laughs> racial undertones and. Uh, the burial of a match that, the, the, you know, whoever she was representing wasn't even involved in. Do you think she'd be getting in the benefit of the doubt and the, it would just be praised as a great promo? Of course not. No. Of course not. This is, this is just this – people are marked for Paul Heyman. Some people um, are friends with Paul Heyman and may use him as a source. And they're always going to tell what Paul Heyman does, in part because his delivery is legitimately great, like I said – but in part because he's not held to the same standard as other people. If, if, if <laughs> he can get away with a lot of stuff that other people will not be able to get away with, just as Brock Lesnar can, to kind of wrap this around to the main event scene for Mania. Brock Lesnar can you know, have a $5 million a year downside guaranteed contract, allegedly, where he doesn't work house shows and house show attendance isn't very good right now, where he doesn't really pop ratings very much when he shows up, certainly not relative to how much money he's being, they're, they're paying for the guy, where pay-per-views no longer exist, so he really doesn't have much of an effect on buys. Um, I mean, yes, those shows, the shows do better when Brock's around, but it's not like pay-per-view is a big part of the business model anymore. And we're just supposed to pretend that Brock is automatically worth this much money because of the aesthetics of Brock Lesnar and how cool we think he is. Um, again, Brock doesn't get held to the same standard that other people were held to. You know, Hulk Hogan in WCW in the 90s was absolutely buried for his contract because mm-hmm. it was Hulk Hogan. Well, Hulk Hogan probably worked five times the date that days. That, I mean, think about this. Brock Lesnar had a date. He, he no-showed his last date with the promotion. His date tonight consisted of standing in the ring and nodding while Paul Heyman buried The Undertaker <laughs> – in yeah. <laughs> his match, and uh, you know, while he, with no interaction with Roman Reigns, not even a right. teased interaction with Roman no Reigns, no interaction, not even a, and that's I mean, and that's been most of his uh, appearances too. Most of, of his appearances are like that, where he just stands in the ring and does nothing. And I, I can understand that you okay, you want Brock Lesnar to be on TV, but you could have had the same exact benefit if one of these other appearances you taped maybe three weeks of a backstage promo with these two. Of course. I mean, that, that, the, 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 I'm not even suggesting that Brock has to be physical every time he's there. I, 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 I understand why people see the value in this idea of the prize fighter who only shows up for the big shows. I, I, I think it's a little bit exaggerated, but I, I understand why people see the value in that. Right. But they don't maximize that. Well, I mean, he, they don't maximize that at all. When Mayweather shows up to something, he's facing off with his opponent. When the Absolutely. UFC has one of these deals, both guys are there and they're facing off. Now, we're going to get that most likely on the Raw before WrestleMania. But right now, every appearance is him just standing in the ring while Paul Heyman is doing the delivering of the lines. And he kind of changed it up this week because it wasn't all about Roman Reigns. But there was nothing special to why Brock needed to be there. Well, was... well, they're trying. They're trying to heal Brock, right? Basically, by p- playing the 
he might shoot on Roman Reigns card or the he might leave and go to the UFC card. He, he Again, might leave I, to go to you, but don't you believe that that kind of looks past the WrestleMania main event when he's talking about what he's going to do? I absolutely, in the UFC? I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And not only, and, and here's my problem with that. I don't mind it. In, it, it look, this is something that in theory might work, but it doesn't work when there's no face off with the other. Right. It only works if Roman Reigns is responding. No, Roman Reigns doesn't respond. Here's what Roman Reigns has done since he's won the Royal Rumble. He's lost to the big show on TV. <laughs> he's lost to Seth Rollins on TV, mm-hmm. which I still can't understand how why Dave Meltzer defended that. But I think that's completely nuts, by the way. So he, he's – and now – Because Seth Rollins is the real main event of WrestleMania. And, and now he had this – he was a, sort of a non-entity in a throwaway handicap match tonight where the only reason he won that match is because Randy Orton turned on Seth Rollins. Four four minutes of a match, and then Reigns left because the real key segment of the show was what you had with Orton and Rollins, which took forever. But Reigns was a complete afterthought. Like, nothing on this show... They've done nothing for him. And then think, even think of the match at Fastlane, Rob, which I liked the Daniel Bryan match a lot. I thought Roman Reigns was very good in it. Right. But if you're, if you're trying to build a guy to be a threat to Brock Lesnar, who's been protected, I would argue, almost to a fault because you can't really conceive of anybody in the promotion beating him because mm-hmm. of the way they presented him, it, especially because he never has physical interaction with anyone. Right. It, you, if you, you can't then have Reigns go out and sell for two-thirds of the match against Daniel Bryan and work as a Ricky Morton baby face to the guy who got eliminated uh, from the Royal Rumble in, in five minutes. I mean, it's completely awful. Like, like they've done, you know, whatever people think of Reigns, and I get the criticisms of him, and I agree with a lot of them, but this guy, uh, this is not his fault ultimately. No. I mean, you, you could say whatever you want about him not being ready, about how he needs to improve his mic work, his ring work, whatever. And I, I would agree to a large degree with almost every criticism that has been levied against the, that guy. But it, it, you cannot – this is not his fault. The, the, they, they, even with every flaw that he has, they could have done something meaningful. And they, they maybe even could have salvaged this main event to one degree or another. I don't know about now. <laughs> I really don't know now. They, they have just – I mean it's – Shocking to me how bad the build to that match, really how bad the build to all the matches have been. But that match in particular, which needed the most help, needed the most help, has been an afterthought. It's featured no physicality between the competitors, no face-to-face anything other than that first night after the Royal Rumble when they were forced into a situation where they had to do something cool and different, you know, because of the snowstorm. I mean, this is, with the exception of that, this whole... Uh, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar thing has been a disaster. And if their idea is to, you know, turn, try and really solidify Lesnar as a heel, even though the crowd wants to cheer for him, I might add, if the, if their idea is to do that by, you know, playing this UFC or he might shoot on him card or whatever, you know what? I'm not saying it won't work. I'm not even saying it, it, it isn't maybe the best hand they have to play in some respects, but that tells you how screwed up they are in terms of the long-term decision-making that got them to this point, A. And B, if, if, if you know, just imagine if the person, if it was anybody other than Paul Heyman selling that bill of goods. I mean, it would be lambasted as a Vince Russo-style work shoot garbage p- promo and storyline. That's exactly how it would be portrayed if it was anyone other than Paul Heyman on the face of the planet that was, that was trying to sell that. Yeah, so we we talked about 
Reigns not countering, not even countering later in the show, just not countering at all on this episode. <laughs> just moved on. He had his main event match against two guys, mind you. Like, where's, you know, he's just going to go <laughs> wrestle two guys and, and only beat them because one of the guys turns on his partner. Only yeah, reason. Um, that's it. The shoot aspect of this, which completely looks past Reigns, because now your focus is one on Vince McMahon, the authority who's cutting off Paul Heyman's microphone. Like, that's the real antagonist or protagonist in this story, if you want, with Brock Lesnar. But that we talk about the delivery. The delivery is what's going to get a lot of people interested in this Paul Heyman segment. What happens when in a promo that's 10 minutes long, you cut his mic three times, cutting off that delivery? <laughs> like you're literally shooting the good part of this promo in the foot by turning off his microphone. Well, that's a that's a very good point. And it's it's an especially good point because I don't even think a lot of the people a lot of people realize that that's what's going on. I, I think a lot of people watching. Probably think, uh, you know, these are legitimate technical errors, yeah, and I, I'm I'm serious. Right. I, I think I think that goes over the head. I'm not saying I'm not saying the majority. I don't know how many, mm-hmm. but I I would be, I I can guarantee you there is a substantial portion of people who are watching these shows for the last couple of weeks when they've been doing this, who have had absolutely no idea that that was a part of the show, none whatsoever. I I was seeing tweets from people on my timeline that were like. Oh, how amazing WWE turned legitimate malfunctions last week into a storyline this week, as if last week they went out three times just because also. <laughs> and these are real thoughts that people had. I mean, that the microphone is just going into business for itself, that the wiring in the place, that the, the wireless signal from the microphone to the base just suddenly didn't work. Well, here's the thing, too, Rob. There people, I, I think there's a certain segment of people that will grasp at straws to portray anything as good at this point, just because they want to find a reason to enjoy WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, they, I mean, it's WrestleMania. Ideally you want to, you want to be excited for it. And what they've managed to do with these shows, in my case, I don't want to speak for others, but what I see on Twitter and from text messages I'm getting and from the conversations I'm having with people is that people are actually getting progressively less excited about this show, which is, pretty amazing when you consider the fact that there weren't that many people who were high on it to begin with. Right. I mean, they've, they've actually managed to ramp down the enthusiasm. Um, it, it's amazing going into this <laughs> WrestleMania that the match that I'm most excited for is Rusev and John Cena. I'm most excited for a John Cena match. One, to see what they're going to do. Two, because I think the work's going to be very good. And it's one of the few singles matches on this show that has any go to it. There's what four singles matches. As far as I know, I'm not really that looking forward to undertaker and Bray Wyatt with undertaker's condition. I mean, there's going to be a lot of bells and whistles and we'll see what the imagery is going to be. Triple H and sting is going to be 15 minutes of rest holds and sting and triple H working the bat versus the sledgehammer. I think (laughs) Seth Rollins and Randy Orton will be quality, but Right now, we just had the turn. There's not a lot of oomph into this match because it's a month late from when they really should have shot the angle. And then you got John Cena and Rusev who are going to go out there. You know, John Cena's probably getting his 15 minutes. This is a big showcase for Rusev, his biggest test so far in WWE. Um, I, I never thought the John Cena match would be the one I'm looking forward to most going into a WrestleMania that has guys like Randy Orton, Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan, and all this talent on the undercard. 
Oh, I, I mean, I, I'm actually pretty high on Cena, as I think you well know, Rob. But, but even still, I've soured on him dramatically from a character perspective over the last 18 months. Mm. And I'm pretty sick of the guy uh, in a lot of ways, even though I still enjoy a lot of uh, his matches. But I completely agree with that assessment. Um, and even having said that, I think it's worth noting that I didn't think the way they handled this, the Cena stuff tonight was very good. I mean, you, here you've got uh, Rusev, who in, in theory is this big bad monster heel, mm-hmm. um, who doesn't lose, crushes guys almost nine out of ten times in a very decisive fashion. And Cena, the, the, the good guy babyface, you know, he gets his match, he earns his match, by savagely beating him far beyond what was necessary. Um, and look, I understand, oh, yeah, you're being ridiculous because Cena got cheated in the match and fat, whatever. The point is, that's an odd portrayal of a babyface made even odder by the fact that they did the exact same thing in the last segment of the show with Randy Orton and Seth Rollins, mm-hmm. where Randy Orton, who wanted a match with, with Seth Rollins, obviously, although he was a little bit more duplicitous about it than John Cena was, Spent 10 minutes savagely beating Seth Rollins, who's supposed to be the heel. I mean, it's just terrible storytelling. You're, you're put, you're, 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 why? Unless, okay, I suppose it's not terrible st- storytelling if you're trying to portray people as tweeners or if perhaps they're actually going to put Rollins and Rusev over clean, but I don't think there's any way both those guys go over on that show clean. And I don't know if one of them will. I, very much doubt it. And to, to me, after the Rusev segment tonight, uh, my personal view is there's absolutely no excuse for Rusev to lose that match now. Mm-hmm. I, I really didn't think there was ahead of time. Uh, but I'd heard, you know, my, I was speaking to my brother earlier in the week on the phone, and he sort of proposed an idea where, well, you know, if, if Rusev passed out and didn't tap out, mm-hmm. you know, you maybe could, you, you maybe could, could, could have him lose that way. And I, I, I still don't like the idea of it, but I could see what he was saying. Well, now we've already had that happen on TV. Right. So, you know, to me, at this point, I would argue that if Rusev doesn't beat Cena clean, it's an absolute catastrophe, because we you can't you you can't keep doing what they do, where you tease that the guy is relevant and you build a guy well, which they've actually done with Rusev. He's the only guy on the main roster who was built well at all last year. And then when you have a chance to really make them, you don't make them. Uh, you can't keep doing that because when you do keep doing that, what you end up with is what you have now where you have yet another mania filled with part-timers mm-hmm. while, the, while the acts who are actually over are buried in an undercard ladder match. And not, not only that. But <laughs> That's a comedy angle, they're, basically. They're buried in an undercard ladder match with a bunch of geeks, which doesn't elevate the geeks. No, it brings I mean, Daniel Bryan and Dean Ambrose down. It's it, it, and Ziggler for that matter. I mean, it's yeah. a comedy. It, the, the, uh, you could very make a very strong case that the three most over baby faces in the WWE, in terms of con- connection with the crowd, are Ambrose, Ziggler, and Daniel Bryan. If somebody wanted to throw Cena in there, I, I wouldn't necessarily dispute it. Particularly with the house shows and kids and merch sales, I, I get it. But you could make a strong case that those are the three guys that are the most consistently over certainly three of the five at, yes, at absolute yes. bare minimum, three yes, of the five. Absolutely. And they are in a, this isn't even a feud. I mean, this is literally a comedy angle. That's what it is. 
They, they've turned this. They've turned this. I mean, I didn't like the idea to begin with. They're all fighting but, for this belt. They're not fighting to be champion. They're fighting for a replica or an actual title belt. Yes. I bring up the replica part because tonight on <laughs> Raw, they completely buried their own merchandise sales and the replica belts. Not only did that replica belt that our truth tricked Bad News Barrett into taking look pretty crappy. But they buried the fact that it was a replica belt. He just throws it to the ground. Not, not a very good advertisement. I just wanted to throw that in there, but not a very that, good advertisement. We said that, we said last week, by the way, on Shake Them Ropes, uh, you know, that John Cena would have to do something dastardly. Nothing else made sense. Like he's going to have to do something heelish to get a match with Rusev because you're not just going to get Rusev all of a sudden to say yes. Do you? I do you take note that it was Lana who agreed to the match? And that that might be setting up for something. And it wasn't Rusev who ultimately said yes. I don't even know what to expect from this promotion at this. I, I mean, I really don't like right. I, like they, that. <laughs> well, Lana's like so scared that John Cena was never going to let go that she had to agree to this match as if John Cena was going to murder Rusev there in the middle of the ring. Yes, it was very. And Lana, who's usually tremendous, I might add, usually, usually very, very good. Not the she, best night. It, no, not at all. And and but you know what? I can't fault her because when you're given that shit, I'm not sure what you can really do. I yeah. mean, like I don't I don't know how you could make that work. Um, yeah, that would have been very very tough for her character, especially to make that work. I think would have been almost impossible. I mean, they they put her in a terrible situation, as they've done with the entire roster. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've put them all in a really in terrible situations. Um, that are, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how good you are to your character or how good a worker you are, how good a promo you are. It doesn't matter. Um, if, if you're not put in a position to even take advantage of the skill sets you have, it really doesn't matter how good you actually are. And, and that's, that's really been the whole story with the Mania build is none of these guys have been put in a position to maximize what they're good at. I, I like, I don't want to change gears on you too much here, Rob, but I mean, the, the Daniel Bryan thing, I think is a great example. Not even so much because he's not in the main event. We know that. Okay. But here he's, you got he's a guy. He's technically not in any match at all yet. Cause that's he's still right. not he's still in the not Intercontinental. Announced. He's still not announced. Okay. But here, here's, here's what has been, I think really interesting about what they've done with Daniel Bryan. I think it's very sly and it's so sly that I think it's foolhardy to pretend it's not intentional. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, the last couple of weeks, a guy who got over to a large degree because of his work, I think we all agree with that, yeah. has been booked in matches against good wrestlers, Luke Harper, Bad News Barrett, okay? But what they've done is they've made, they've A, made the matches very short, and B, they've cannibalized the matches with commercial breaks. So there's nothing as the viewer at home watches. You don't get invested in that big dramatic buildup to the Daniel Bryan comeback, which is what so many of his matches, his great matches have been centered around because that whole segment is eaten up by, by, uh, you know, the, the commercial breaks. Right. And what the end result is, is I don't, you know, I think Daniel Bryan has been gradually losing popularity in the live audiences for a while, though he's still the most over guy on the roster. But to the home viewer and somebody who typically looks forward to his matches, I don't really give a shit either because I, I'm, I'm not getting anything out of this deal. 
You know, when 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 you when you heard, well, you know, it looks like Daniel Bryan's going to be shuffled down the undercard. You were at least thinking, well, bare minimum, it's going to be that workhorse we always loved, who gave us great matches week after week. They're taking that away too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of it with Daniel Bryan is all throughout uh, the SummerSlam period. Uh, last year before his title match at WrestleMania 30s, the fans always had hope that they could change what they were doing with Daniel Bryan. They never lost the hope because they were never flat out told that Daniel Bryan wasn't going to be the main eventer, that he had no shot. He was still hanging around the main event scene for a while. Really popular guy. Well, this year, you know, once the Royal Rumble came and he lost again, fans are starting to say, hey, okay, now they're telling us this guy really has no shot because we were begging for it and they didn't give it to us. They still, for a couple of weeks after the Royal Rumble, Give him a solid reaction. He's still a big over baby face. And then Fastlane came and he lost clean, did the put over to Roman Reigns. Fans don't have that hope anymore that anything they do for Daniel Bryan is going to help him. So they're investing in other things. They, well, no, 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 no. They're not investing well, in anything. Not, right now, they're not investing in anything. That's right. I, I mean, and who can blame them? Because if you look at the guys over the course of Like if you looked at this time, just rewind a year. Mm -hmm. If you look at the guys who the crowd were super into a year ago as we were approaching Mania, the brink of WrestleMania, you had the Wyatt family, the Shield, Daniel Bryan, and Antonio Cesaro. Or Cesaro, excuse me. I want you to look at what where all those guys are now relative to where they were last year. The only one you could argue maybe maybe it is better off and this is i think a, a maybe really is is seth rollins um seth. and i and i think that's very debatable i, I think I, I think i'd put seth on a guy because now the focus is on him solely and not other guys with him it's not the group mentality i think i think he would be above i think bray wyatt is getting back to kind of where he was maybe yeah but, but here's the problem yet. here's the problem though Bray Wyatt is in a no-win situation, and I'm not the biggest Bray fan, but he's another guy I feel bad for because while I don't, uh, I think his promos are ridiculous. Although I actually think his delivery with this Taker stuff has been pretty good. I'll I, I think the that. Taker stuff is kind of the reason why he's starting to get back because I think fans are actually buying into what he's been selling, and luckily it hasn't been for ten minutes at a time. Some of these backstage videos, that's all he's doing, and that's it, and it's you know two minutes of TV. Sure. But but here's the here's the problem with Bray. Okay, first of all, this is you really have to connect these two matches together because I don't think you can separate them. Okay, and that's the the Sting and Triple H match and the Undertaker and Bray Wyatt match because I think if you really think about it, um, and yes, I get accused of being the 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 foremost Triple H hater, and to one degree or another, that's probably true. Mm -hmm. But but set that aside for a second because this this has nothing to do with my opinion of, of of Triple H. It has to do with the history of Triple H. And I think what you have to conclude is that the only reason we are not getting Sting versus The Undertaker this year is because Triple H wanted a high-profile match at WrestleMania. Yeah. Because there is absolutely no other reason to be doing what they're doing. And the reason I say that is because Bray is in a no-win situation. If he beats Taker, as we learned from the great promo Paul Heyman tonight, it's meaningless because Taker was destroyed last year anyway. So what? What? who cares? Uh, they, they've they've already stripped his mystique. Now, don't get me wrong; it would still be a, a big win, but would it be what it was if he was undefeated? Of course not. Um, in fact, I would argue that even being in the ring with him when he was undefeated, even if you lost, would be better than Bray winning this year. Um, and 
on the other hand, can Bray afford to lose? God, no. I mean, lo- losing to Cena at WrestleMania last year is, I think, a large part of what killed his momentum. He, I don't think he can afford to lose an, an, another, another match like this. I mean, is it going to kill his career? No. But if this promotion is seriously interested in developing stars uh, and, uh, you know, uh, new talent, um, they can't continue to do this stuff. And there's only so many times that the people will, uh, you know, stick around for a guy. Right. Um, Dolph Ziggler's the exception. You know, he's, he's sort of, for whatever reason, Dolph Ziggler is sort of the one guy that people always sort of gravitate back to. Um, but he's really the exception with most, with most guys, there's only so many chances they give you before they just throw up their hands and say, that's it. It's over. You know, there's nothing that can be done. And if Bray loses the taker again, that's what's going to happen. And my suspicion is that Bray will lose to taker because I think they're going to run taker versus Sting next year. (laughs) I I think they're trying to save undertaker. Now there's a lot of talk that people, you know, Vince decided for undertaker to lose last year so he can come up this year and put over a top young star. Or or, uh, or get his win back, I guess. I don't. I don't know what the plan. I don't think he had any plan last year. I think it was just okay. We're going to go with Brock winning. We'll figure out what to do with Undertaker next year when next year happens. I don't believe for even. I I, I actually don't think there's any. I, I don't think that. I mean, I don't believe every detail of the narrative that was sort of spun about how that decision was made um, for a variety of reasons. I don't believe that, uh, but. I think there's a lot of truth to it. And the one truth that I think is an absolute fact is that that was not a decision that was made well in advance. And right. that was not a decision that was made with a whole lot of foresight for the future. Now, in terms of setting Lesnar up for being this, un, uh, you know, this, this monster and what he is today, um, it worked out well. But as I said earlier, you know, you can argue that if anything, the portrayal of Lesnar has been too strong because they've portrayed nobody else as competent at all, with the exception of Rusev. <laughs> I mean, there's just yeah. no, there's it, nobody else. It would be perfectly fine if, you know, on one side you have Brock Lesnar, the unstoppable guy, and then completely separate of him on the other side, there's someone who's rising that's also unstoppable. But Roman Reigns, his big singles wins are Randy Orton and Daniel Bryan, and they came six months apart. Or four months apart, whenever SummerSlam was. Yeah, around six months apart, really. And in between, he's lost to the Big Show and he lost to Seth Rollins in the build-up to this match. He hasn't come off as this unstoppable guy since he was in the Shield, which is well, you know, ages ago in in wrestling days at this point. Um, but you don't have that other guy that you built up except for like a Rusev. And unfortunately, they're both on the same side, so you can't put them together. Yeah, I mean, I, I listened to, to to Dave Meltzer uh, and, and Brian Alvarez argue about this on Observer Radio this past week. And uh, normally, I agree with Dave in those spats when him and he and Brian disagree. But in this instance, I thought Brian was a hundred percent right. Dave was clueless and hopelessly wrong. Uh, and uh, what I'm getting at here is Dave was arguing in this uh, that basically the issue is that Reigns isn't over. And even if these other mis- mistakes exacerbate that problem. The fundamental thing is that he's just not over enough to be a WrestleMania main eventer. Uh, my argument to that is we don't know because they've made so many mistakes. It's impossible to say how over he should or shouldn't be. I mean, they've done so much wrong with him. Do, do, I, do I think that he uh, you know, could be the super huge, unbelievable single star at this stage in his career if not for the mistakes they've made? Probably not. But 
that's not an excuse for them to continually do the garbage that they've done with this guy. Um, and, you know, people could say, oh, well, the promos are his fault. Well, he's not writing the promos, you know. Um, and, you know, people can say that, well, his ring work needs to improve. Well, I mean, honestly, when you put him in there with some of the guys they put him in there and some of the situations they put him in, I, I don't know that he could have done a lot better there either. Uh, they've, they've just – they've so – screwed this guy over. Mm. And, um, you know, again, I, I, I really mean this a part of me, you know, the conspiracy theorist in me believes that they're just like willingly sabotaging mania for some reason. I don't understand because I, it's hard for me to fathom even recognizing that I, that I don't agree with their philosophy on a lot of things. Mm. It's very hard for me to fathom that anybody could watch what they've done in the build to the show and think any of it's been good. I like, I like, it's very difficult, you know, in the minutia, sure, you can always find micro elements that are good to anything, but from a big picture perspective, it's hard for me to look at any aspect of what they've put and built on this show. Uh, I mean, and say, boy, you know what? That was a, that was a, that was a really good idea. Yeah. The other six or seven things are stupid, mm-hmm. but this was really, really good. I can't find anything. Right. There's nothing. Not, there's not the one to hang your hat on. But at no. the same at the same point, though, Levi Stadium, this place is going to uh, it's going to be a huge financial gain for them as far as ticket sales. I don't I don't know what they're going to do as far as selling out. I don't even know what a sellout would be. I probably impossible to sell out that place, but they're going to get a ton of people and they're going to have their most uh, subscribers ever on WrestleMania day. So what do they have to say, okay, this didn't work. Everything here is buzzing as far as how much money we're making. Like, what is there to tell them that, you know what you guys did this year? It didn't work. Because pay-per-view buys aren't going to be that answer anymore. You're not going to have fewer buys than the year before. You're literally going to have more buys this year on the network than any pay-per-view ever before, most likely. So what is what is there to tell them that they did something wrong this year? Well, uh, and see, that's... It's um, it's interesting that you frame it that way because I actually I, I get what you're saying and I I actually framed it um, sort of similarly but in, from the opposite perspective on Twitter shortly before we we started this show my argument is you know in the pay per view era it made a lot of sense whether you liked it as a fan or not it made a lot of sense to to build mania or at least aspects of your mania show around part-timers and special attractions, because you were trying to get the big pay-per-view buy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what you were aiming for, right? I mean, that's right. fair in this day and age. I don't see any compelling reason at all to have a single part-time person on any of these shows. Now there may be, um, aesthetic reasons are special reasons why you might want to do it. And I'm sure some people will chime in and say, well, yes, but people, uh, they, 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 you know, they're trying to drive network sales and, and, uh, that's why they do it. I don't actually think that has anything to do with it. <laughs> I, I think uh, you, you're really trying to tell me that they're putting triple H versus sting on this pay-per-view to try and drive network sales. Um, I, I don't believe that there are a ton of people who are old WCW fans. They're going to run out and get the network because they're going to get to see sting wrestle past his prime against a guy that nobody was ever clamoring for him to wrestle in the first place. I just don't believe that. I, I don't think there's any I, reason to, to support that whatsoever. None. I don't believe 
that uh, there are going to be a bunch of people that say, man, you know what? The Undertaker's coming back, and, and I'm going to plop down uh, my nine nine ninety-nine this month and for the foreseeable future to see The Undertaker. I don't believe that. I don't. I, 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 you know, I'm not saying there's no one on this earth, but I think there's not nearly as many, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and the reality is at some point what they've done with, and I've, and I've not been somebody who's been reflexively opposed to part-timers. I want to make that clear. In fact, I've argued on my own podcast, on the Wrestling Culture Podcast, with, with my co-host Dave Musgrave about this in the past, where he's completely buried the idea at various points. And I've said, no, there's a reason why they do it. But now that we're out of that framework, I think it is very hard to defend the idea, especially when you look at the other metrics, which don't change. TV ratings don't change depending on the network. Uh, house, show by, uh, house show attendance and merchandise sales don't change based on the network. Are these areas, are these revenue streams doing better right now? Is Brock Lesnar improving any of those areas? Well, not $5 million worth. Uh, you know, is, is Sting improving any of those areas? Uh, maybe to a negligible degree. I don't see a lot of Sting merch out there in the crowds. I, I, I just, I don't. You know, I, and I understand what you're saying. Like, how, how do you gauge this? My argument would be um, that they've got to decide, do they want to continue going with these the, the way they've built Mania for the last decade or however long around these part-time special attraction type matches and, and people who are really not there very often? Um, or do they actually want to create new stars? Because you can't do both. And the reason you can't do both is because you can't give the guys like Dean Ambrose, like Daniel Bryan, like Wade Barrett, like Dolph Ziggler, the appropriate feature marquee matches with decent build that are presented seriously on the shows if you've got hours of time taken up every week by uh, you know Undertaker teases and, and bad Sting voiceovers and 45-minute Triple H promos. You, you just can't do it. You can't do both. You know, and if they're not willing to take that risk now that they have their own network, uh, that's pretty scary. I mean, when are they? Is, that, is it ever going to happen? Or are we just going to be stuck in the same thing where we can just get used to having a Triple H match every year and, you know, eventually John Cena will kind of fill in in the Undertaker role maybe? I mean, I, I think that's a pretty nightmarish future, especially when you look at the talent roster that they've got. We keep saying, and we've been saying this for a decade, that at some point they're going to be forced to push someone new because all the old guys will be gone. And it hasn't happened yet. You know, Big Show is still around. Kane's still around. The part-timers that still come in are still around. Triple H will be working until he literally can't anymore. But I wonder if Vince is just stuck in that. I mean, he was doing pay-per-view for 30 years, and now he has the network. It's a completely different medium that he's trying to sell. I think that's why Sting is here now. Because with Sting coming in, yeah, you can get the merchandise sales. Yeah, it's a guy who's never been there before. But you can, uh, I mean, kind of cross-promote some of the stuff you have on the network in hopes that people not only buy WrestleMania for Sting, but might stick around to watch the stuff they remember from Sting and the stuff they remember from WCW and Ric Flair and all those guys. Because you can promote the network. You can promote the DVD that he was just, uh, you know, that he just had come out for WWE. So there's other stuff you can kind of cross-promote with a Sting match coming in. But once you had that match, 
is it going to be worth anything next year? Like, is Sting Undertaker going to be that match that's going to be a big deal now that Sting already wrestled a match? Now that Undertaker is, you know, old and can't move. And I, I think he's going to beat Bray Wyatt, too, at this WrestleMania. It just makes all the sense in the world for him to go into WrestleMania 32 with a win and try to sell out Cowboy Stadium, you know, with an Undertaker, maybe retirement match or a big deal with him. But yeah, yeah, and, I, and look, I can kind of justify the sting thing. Was my point? No, there, no, maybe. no, no, no. But don't don't get me wrong. I, I I would not. I would. I'm not necessarily arguing against the idea. Even though I did explicitly say that I that I don't think the there's really any uh, rational argument for 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 using any part timers given their situation, especially yeah. where they've got all this talent and they've not made any stars. Um, and, and for whatever reason, these part-timers don't appear to be interested in putting people over, which is the other big ele- elephant in the room. I mean, it's one thing if these guys were jobbing for some of the younger talent, but they're really not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily opposed, though, to the idea of one match like that on every card. But what we've gotten for the last several manias is multiple matches that are part-time, you know, semi-retired or retired guys coming in. And those tend to be the matches that get the most build on top of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing if you do one. You know, I think I think most people would enjoy that because part of the elements of these WrestleMania shows is that they're, you know, ideally you have a variety show. Everything's a little bit different. You know, you get a little bit of everything that appeals to the audience in a variety of ways. Okay. But when you've got three matches on this show that involve effectively a part-time or semi-retired performer because I do consider Brock Lesnar a part of that camp and I and he I is, can't yeah. I can't imagine why you wouldn't although I've had that argument before three matches you, a year yeah I mean come on you know th- when you've got three matches that are clogged up in that sort of what I would consider an old and dated um you know system or paradigm whatever term you want to use when you've got three matches built like that you know, you're taking up a lot of roster space mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of time on the shows. And the reality is in the post pay-per-view period, what's really going to be the return on that? I mean, if, and, and, and here's the thing. If the idea is that, well, we do think network subscribers would plummet if we didn't have these guys on the show. Well, then maybe that that's a good argument for building somebody other than these guys. <laughs> maybe that's a good argument for uh, having some of these old guys actually lose their matches. Like maybe instead of uh, one part-timer beating another part-timer or, or semi-retired guy, which is what usually happens on these shows, maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe uh, Bray Wyatt should beat The Undertaker. There's a novel concept. <laughs> I mean, it, it's... It, it com- I don't understand what the value is in these old-timers and part-time folks, if they're not going to put talent over and if they're not going to work house shows and if they don't pop TV ratings in any measurable way and if pay-per-view is dead, well, then why are we giving them these giant contracts? What's the rationale for it? Uh, you know, and like I said, if the rationale is, well, they're the only people that drive uh, network sales, that should be even more of a reason yeah. to be pushing these younger guys and featuring them because that tells you we're on our ass without these folks and they can't go forever and we're going to be screwed, but they don't ever learn their lesson. They just don't. What about, uh, there's going to be two matches on this show, two matches that feature 27 guys on it. 
<laughs> you're going to have most likely seven in the ladder match. You're going to have 20 in the battle Royal. If you want to go further and think that they might do a four way tag title match because they really did shoehorn in a tag division tonight on raw. Yep. And that's clearly what they're going to do. You're, you're going to have 35 guys in three matches. 35. Yeah. You know what that is? It's just lazy. It's just lazy. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the here. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.